Everybody and welcome to The Last Ones In, where being late to the party isn't a bad thing. I am your host, Dry Archuleta. In front of me, we have Robbie. Hello. Across the country, we have Rocky. Hey, how's your wife? <laughs> and then, for the first time ever, we have my sister, Samantha Archuleta. Yo, what's up? Alright, this week we are going to be taking a look at Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster. And if you want to watch it before you listen to the podcast, you can do that on Amazon Prime Video for free if you just have Amazon Prime. Uh, you can rent it for a dollar, I believe, and then it's on Vudu for two ninety nine, YouTube three ninety nine, and then rentals from everywhere else. Same thing. But before we get down to what this podcast is about, Robbie, what's up in your life, man? <sighs> it, it's been a week, man. So, um... As you know, I was actually supposed to, well, I did edit last week's episode, but I actually had, like, when I went to go put it to USB, uh, the fu- the actual program crashed on my computer, so I tried to, like, quickly edit it, and then, from what I can tell, you went through it, and you just ended up redo- completely redoing it yourself, which... I did. I was up until four in the morning. I'm sorry about that. But, uh, yeah, my computer crashed, and this was also during the time that, uh, and... I didn't get a chance to fully explain it to you because I had to go to work still. But uh, there might have been a coronavirus outbreak where I work. I'm and- glad you told me that before you came over. <laughs> yeah. Why are you telling that? That's great. <laughs> Why are you telling us this right now? <laughs> I'm getting into it. So really? it wasn't in my department, though. But uh, they were telling us that at work, and I had to go there, and I had to be there early because now whenever we go to work, we actually have to... Uh, do like a temperature sensor sc- scan and like if we don't pass the scanning whenever we walk through the door then we have to or then they make us go home for the day and like if we're still or it's either like that time they tell us that we have to like come back with a doctor's note saying like that we do or don't have it kind of thing <laughs> or don't have it so it's 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 been chaotic like there's so that they, they have want... like this whole big separation things but because the job i have is considered to be more of a essential job for uh, like we have to still go to work. So you need to get a doctor's note saying whether you do or do not have coronavirus yet, right? So it's that's one of those like, like uh, we get scanned. Like they actually have like these temperature scan our scanners that scan our the surface temperature of our skin, and if it's above a certain degree or below a certain degree, they will not let us into the building, which is kind of weird because it's like twenty degrees. Or well, Friday whenever I went to work, it was twenty degrees outside so like i walked in and like they're like oh your skin's kind of cold give it a minute and uh (laughs) what yeah but like uh it's a whole big weird situation like it's one of those like they want to keep the facility up and running but they want to like give us some sense of security about it but it's it's just all it's a bunch of managers running with uh running around not knowing what the hell they're doing sounds about right yeah but also with that like another thing since I figured there's like the whole shortage of toilet paper thing, I thought I'd actually bring some because I went to Walmart. One of the days I went to Walmart, they actually had some toilet paper there. But like the only reason they had it 
is because they completely are cut off the entire aisle and they just had like four employees just like guarding what toilet paper that they had there and making sure that people who actually got it only got like one thing. And so I brought some here only to find out that dry doesn't need any. (laughs) Yeah. That's what they've done with our store as well now. Yeah. So like, there's just four people, like I counted them. There's just four people standing in this like little tiny box, just like making sure everyone who got toilet paper only got one uh, package of it a piece. Yep. So it's between that and having to like do like this whole weird separation thing at work like they're staggering our breaks and like no one's allowed six feet or within six feet of each other like it's it, it's been a crazy week yeah they're following the rules of what you're actually supposed to do but uh anything else going on in your life uh still unpacking a little bit to be honest with you it's a lot of unpacking yeah it's well it's mostly organizing or organizing at this point in time fun yeah rocky what's up in your life man not much Cool. cool. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> what? I got nothing, man. Nothing. It's nothing new? Nothing. nothing at all? No- nothing. Why is your That's life why I was so. Well, I was hostile about it. I thought if I was hostile enough, you wouldn't push, but you kept pushing. <laughs> hey, this is Dry we're talking about. He's going to push for the info. And you're not doing anything at work? There's nothing happening there? Listen, man. Back the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Sam, what's up with your life? Oh, you know, it's work and trying to survive the apocalypse. Yeah, that's been really fun. Yeah. It's a good thing that you don't work in a place where people are constantly belligerent, though. Um, <laughs> you know, it depends. Liquor stores are known for people being very level-headed going in there all the yeah. time. Oh, yeah, always. Uh, one thing I did actually, whenever I was like scanning through a Facebook one day, I did read that you were saying that you'd never sell Everclear there, but now you're sold out. And so you think people are actually just using it as hand sanitizer? Oh, I think they definitely are using it <laughs> as hand sanitizer. Our, distrib- our distributor is actually sold out of Everclear. Oh, so. Jesus. Yeah, we still have some, or at least we did as of a few days ago when I was at work. But I mean, I'm yeah. guessing it's either that or they're saying like, listen, Everclear is so much alcohol, it'll kill everything. Yeah, um, it's so. like ninety five percent alcohol. So. so they drink it; it'll definitely kill the yeah. coronavirus along with everything else in them. So yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to drink it without mixing it with something. So, so it's very flammable. You're saying if I drink Everclear, I won't die of coronavirus. Um, you'll probably die of something. Technically, else. <laughs> you might die of alcohol poisoning or just like burning from the inside. <laughs> Yeah, I was so. going to say, you might just burn yourself from the inside out. Yeah. Oh, that sounds pleasant. Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. You know what? I'm actually, with what Sam brought up, the um, the apocalypse, and that really bothers me because that's a really good talking point, and I should have brought that up when I was asked. <laughs> 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 so you're just bothered that you didn't bring up the world is ending. Well, because I was like, that's the thing that's also affecting me. Why did I not bring that up? <laughs> just very blasé about it. Like, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's maybe next. Maybe next time. Yeah, well, maybe I'll next apocalypse. You know, not all of us can be heroes like me. So I mean, it will probably still be the apocalypse next time. So. Oh, uh, so. Um, this usually at this point, E asks you, well, how about you, sir? How are you doing? Oh, 
yeah, he normally does do that. He does. Yeah, I, mean, just realized, I guess we I'm didn't probably... even address the elephant in the room. E isn't here this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, he had been planning to go for a spring vacation with family, and that fell through because the world got canceled. Uh, but he, but we already had the movies planned out. We were going to be watching, and he noped the fuck out when we told him it was going to be hereditary. Yeah. So he's not here this week. Uh, but yeah, no, everything is awful and I hate it and I'm being forced to work still and go in contact with people and touch them and be right next to them all the time. But it's okay because Facebook memes have told me that I'm a hero. So... Is that so what you get that. paid for? <laughs> no. <laughs> they give this. Let's get down to brass tacks, folks. I have seen this movie a few times now. Uh, a couple times in theaters. I really love it. Sam has seen it, I think, much more than me. Yeah, about uh, five or six times. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It's because I just, like, show it to people. Because I want oh, people to watch different. it. Oh, that's different. I understand that. Yeah, if you show it. I, I did that with um that and one movie that was, was pretty much like a... You know the one. August Underground Mortem? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I watched that movie like six times. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. I watched it. I kept showing people like, isn't this movie awful? I never watched this again. Can't wait to show it to somebody else. <laughs> so, Rocky, you've only seen it the one time, right? Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a very, like, yeah, I guess I did watch this movie. Well, this... I. I guess we're going to be talking about this movie a lot. But yeah, I, I, I watched this movie. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about it a lot. And uh, the last one in this week, since E isn't here, is Robbie. Yep. So that's Which, fun. I actually had plans to watch this at some point in time, but I know you wanted to show it to me, so I held off. I did, I did. And this is even before we started the podcast, you wanted to show this movie to me. It's like, all right, we'll get around to it eventually, and then it didn't happen until now. Yeah. It took an E not being present for us to plan to be able to watch it. <laughs> it took an E not being here in the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, I really love this movie. I think it is so good. It is on the same plane as I think It Follows as being classic in the horror genre. I have to agree. I really like this movie. So. It's yeah, it's it's a great movie. Uh, it's foof. There's not <laughs> there's not a lot of there's not a lot of movies that uh that hit me like this movie does. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Before I read the back of the box, Robbie, Hereditary. What do you think this movie is going to be about? Uh, from uh, from what I've seen with like trailers, it almost seems like I'm guessing a woman either adopted a, a daughter or like uh, ended up giving birth to a daughter that had some kind of medical problem, and she's just off in some way. And like apparently, like there's some are uh, I want to say some kind of mental disorder with her, and it causes her to do some very serial killer things. So that's that's your official thought of what this is going to be. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then I think it's time we read the back of the box. When Ellen, the matriarch of the Graham family, passes away, her daughter's family begins to unravel cryptic and unreasonably terrifying secrets about their ancestry. The more they discover, the more they find themselves trying to outrun the sinister fate they seem to have inherited. Making his feature debut, writer-director Ari Aster unleashes a nightmare vision of a domestic breakdown that exhibits the craft and precision of a nascent auteur transforming a familial tragedy into something ominous and deeply disquieting, and pushing the horror movie into chilling new terrain, with its shattering portrait of heritage, 
gone to hell. Half of this description is saying how amazing the director is. I feel like the director wrote this description. <laughs> also, uh, I haven't seen this movie. Yeah, I I mistook this for a music video by Ariana Grande. <laughs> That's even her name. <laughs> it's called Break Up With Your Boyfriend. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, I am so excited to come back from what from watching this movie because what you think this movie is about is so amazing. You know, there was a, a part at the end of this movie that when I saw it, it, it happened so quickly. I was like, wait, did that scar me for life? And I had to <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that totally scarred me for life. Okay, cool. All right. We're going to be right back. <laughs> See you guys in two hours. Alright, and we are back from watching Hereditary, a movie which I love so, so much. But that's not important. What is important right now is the person who hasn't seen it before. Robbie, you were the last one in this time. I am. What did you think of this movie? It honestly took me by surprise. Uh, I was expecting this movie to take a very different turn than what it actually did. Yeah, from what you described of it, it's not that movie at all no no this is it's not uh without getting into spoiler territory it was uh i don't want to say that the trailers for this movie were deceiving but it kind of painted a different picture than what actually is there like the trailers kind of paint a picture of what this movie is like here this little dark corner over here but there's this whole other big picture that's being painted once you actually watch the movie yeah i think that's very purposefully done um in the marketing in a lot of ways, which I think was amazing because in so many trailers, the entire movie just gets given away before you ever go see the movie. And in this one, I went into it and there is a clear right turn in this movie. Oh yeah. Something completely different. Yeah. It's, uh, I want to say for the first half of the movie, uh, before a specific event, uh, it's kind of went how I was expecting it to go. And then it just took a, a very hard right turn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, on a buy, rent, slash stream, or pass, what would you give this? Well, I know I'm always the most iffy when it comes to stuff like this, because I always try to think of people like E, or you know, people who may not want to watch this movie. But if you're definitely into horror movies, this is very much, I would say, a buy. If this, you know, that, that is if you're into horror movies. But, like, this is also one of the... Uh, trying to not get spoilery about it. Um... <laughs> I, I will say it is a dark horror film. Like if you are into like dark, intense horror movies, this is definitely one, or especially ones that take twists and turns in a very good way. I would say that this is very much like a, a buy movie. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, well, let's take it over to Rocky. What do you think of this movie? Spoiler free. Uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good movie. It's, it's very, Whew, you know, it's it's difficult to watch. Um, for it is me, quite an least. intense movie. Yeah, it's 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 difficult to watch. The first the first time it's there's a there's a particular point that serves kind of like as a nexus for why it's difficult to watch, and then the second time you kind of are expecting it, so it doesn't really have the same punch, but you actually start getting 
more involved in the details of everything else that's going on in the movie. And, uh, you know, there's a story within a story in this movie, I think. And that one's actually more difficult to watch. And, um, yeah, so, but it's really good. And, um, you know, I, I would definitely say to, to, to buy it if, if you can. It's not something that you're probably going to, you know, watch all the time. But it's definitely one that, if you're a horror fan, should be in the collection. Yeah, and it's one of those ones that every now and again you just want to go back to and visit and just kind of double check on, rewatch again, make sure it's still that thing. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is like my <laughs> fifth time seeing it now, I think. <laughs> well, okay, but not for me. I, I'm comfortable, <laughs> probably, I probably won't, unless, unless uh, like, if I'm to show someone this movie, I probably wouldn't be inclined to watch it again, but. That's understandable. You know. It is a very hard movie to watch. Yeah, it's very heavy. Like, you can't watch this to just... Obviously, you can enjoy it because, you know, it's a a good movie, but you can't enjoy it in a a very light way. It's a very very heavy movie. If your family's over for dinner, you're not going to be like, you know what, in the background, I'm just going to put on Hereditary. Be right back, guys. (laughs) Or even just, like, if you want to escape in horror just to enjoy, like, the, the themes and stuff. This isn't really the movie for that either. No, this you know isn't I mean? an, as good as this movie is, and as much as I enjoy it, it is not a quote-unquote enjoyable movie. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not like a mindless film that you can just put on in the background and exactly. you know, watch it that way. You kind of have it, to pay attention. Yeah, this movie is an investment as you're watching it. And it's not like you, you have to pay attention or else you won't get it. It's literally a movie that's so heavy it absorbs your attention in the worst kind of ways. Yeah. You know? Which for me, there was like, uh, I sh- I'm sure you guys know exactly which point I'm talking about in this movie uh, without getting spoiler free, but it went from kind of a slow, like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to an, oh shit, our thing just got real yeah, yeah. moment. And like, I kind of, I went from kind of, well, I don't want to say kind of paying attention because <laughs> I was paying attention throughout the movie, but I went from kind of like, okay, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention kind of mentality. There was, when I first saw it in theaters, besides the horrible, disrespectful audience that kept clicking their tongues all the time at the end of it, but when that movie, when that part happens in the movie, um, everybody in the theater gasped, and it was just, everybody was quiet as fuck. <laughs> it was really, well, it's one of those wonderful theater moments. I imagine so. kind of went from, like, everyone just kind of doing whatever they do and talking to their friends throughout the movie to, <gasps> Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. But... So you would say it's a buy if you want to if you're a horror fan, Rocky. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely if if you're looking for like this this is this is like when it comes to when it comes to horror, this is kind of like like a fine wine, I'd guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, that is a good way to put it. Yeah, this this is like if 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 you're literally looking for a respectable like you actually care about that and you want a respectable horror <laughs> collection you you couldn't not have this movie yeah, yeah i guess that's a double negative but awesome so sam you have seen this movie more than me uh you love this movie quite a bit what what are your thoughts on it non-spoilery of course um i like it <laughs> cool <laughs> great talk <laughs> um I feel like I'll get more into why I like it and stuff later on, but it's a lot different than most horror movies that are coming out. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it kind of started the trend of allowing your movie to breathe here for a little bit when it came out. Because there were so many movies, like The Conjuring was huge at the time. Um, still kind of is in a way. But this kind of opened the door to say to filmmakers, like, hey, it's okay if you let your film breathe, if you let your characters breathe, if you let the writing do its job. You don't have to have a jump scare every five minutes. You can really get to know these characters and care about them before you start to fuck them. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, yeah. it's yeah. But uh, another way, it's like like filler. It really shows you just how filler those jump scares are because there's really nothing in this that's fluff. There's yeah. really it oh, yeah, is, everything it is, that happens in this movie is very important to the movie. Yeah. Well, not even just important. It's just it's it's like a fucking heavy metal, man. It's 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 there's no there's no there's no there's no fluff. It's not like, oh, you got me there. It's just you're literally watching a downward spiral. Yeah. And, and every scare feels earned. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, I, actually, I'm, I'll say right now, I feel like watching this a second time, the horror elements in this is the fluff. That, Almost, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that. that's what I, so the first time I didn't pick up on that. But the second time I was like, yeah, the, the, the other story in this is actually way fucking worse way more than brutal the, yeah than the story that catches your eye the first time yeah. yeah i will say that one thing i do like about this movie is that you can watch it multiple times and find uh different things throughout um every time you watch it like yeah 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 i uh there was actually one thing i i didn't notice the first time that I, I I'll I'll talk about it once it happens. But I was like, yeah, that, that that'd be awful. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. But. but Sam, so buy, stream, rent, or pass. Um. Yes to all of that except for pass. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if anything, like. So yeah, definitely buy. Um, if you can't buy, if you're not like into buying physical copies or whatever, just like watch it. There's plenty of places to stream it from. Yeah, yeah. like Mostly Amazon Prime. Prime. Uh, you can rent it from pretty much everywhere for pretty cheap, honestly. Yeah. So it's it's no matter what worth a watch if you're into horror movies at all. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for me, I obviously love this movie. I own it, so obviously it's a buy for me. Though there's some movies I own that aren't that, in my opinion. But... I absolutely love this movie. There are so many small little things to pick up on that even today uh, I'm learning about. And this movie is one of the deepest and most heartfelt horror movies in a really, really long time. Not just from the directing and the writing standpoint, but from the acting standpoint. It all feels so genuine and real. And that's something I think, as a horror fan, you, sometimes you don't realize how important that really is. Uh, until you see it in this, and it really is important. So obviously, for me, my rating would be a buy. And before we continue, I have to let you guys know, we're going to go into spoilers. We are going to talk very in-depth about a lot of things, and we're trying something new with this episode. We have some dramatized stuff, we have some some setup stuff here, so if you like it, let us know at any of our social media things. Last one's in on Twitter, the last one's in on Facebook, or shoot us an email at the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Just let us know what you think about all the drama stuff that happens and uh, the quote-unquote acting that may occur. <laughs> 
All right, we'll be right back with the spoilers, guys. The movie opens up to ominous music that slowly builds while a wall of text is present to us. Ellen Taper Lay, 78, passed away after prolonged illness at her daughter Annie's house on April 3rd, 2018. Beloved wife of late Martin Lay, rest in peace. Devoted mother of Annie Lay, Graham, and late Charles Lay, rest in peace. Cherished grandmother of Peter Graham and the Charlie Graham. She is also survived by her son-in-law, Dr. Stephen Graham. She will be missed. Reposing at Kingstone Funeral Home, Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Funeral service to be held on Saturday, 10 a.m. Burial will take place at Spring Blossom Cemetery. Right away, fun fact, guys. The director, Ari Aster, said this was always a family drama first and everything else second. It is one thing that I wanted to say earlier whenever you said how this feels real is uh, if you take the horror elements out of this, it is more or less just a movie dealing with grief. Yeah. And this would have just more or less just been, a like you said, a family drama. Mm-hmm. But with the horror elements, it just adds like a whole new twist to the whole thing. It does, yeah. So here's the thing. Um... I totally agree with that, but I feel like if it, if, it, if it was just a story based on grief, it would still be a little bit easier to watch because it's really hard to unpack everything that goes on beyond just the grief part. Oh yeah, you there's know? a lot that happens in this movie. It, that's what makes it kind of when when for instance when I watch it, it makes it kind of painful to watch the characters because there's just so much going on there. But yeah, the grief is definitely one of the the main elements, but there's there's a few other things too. I, I feel like an, another thing is um, well, maybe I'm jumping too quick on the gun here, but I feel like mental illness is kind of one of the themes in this as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, so that that's the that's it's kind of like just a ball of fucking toxicity. Yeah, it it honestly really is. And um, I don't know where I heard this quote from, but it's ringing around in my head. So somebody must have said it. Um, horror is just a drama, but with higher stakes. And so I think when you get something with, that's this full of grief and anger and hate and sadness, um, you could tell it as just a drama, but I think making it a horror movie makes it to where at the end, you know, something horribly fucked up will happen. It basically cranks it up to 11. Yeah. Wall of text fades out and the music builds only to be cut off unceremoniously. The first thing we see is Treehouse through the framing of a window. The camera pulls back while a fly buzzes around the camera, begins to turn right, giving us a tour of the room. We see little models of modern things cluttered with various art supplies. The camera finally focuses on one of the models and begins to zoom into the upstairs bedroom of the model home. Again, the music builds. Once we're completely zoomed into the room, the music fades out with a whimper and we see a teen boy sleeping in the bed. Our attention is taken off of him quickly because someone walks into the room. He's carrying a suit, and he walks over to the boy. Hey, Peter, wake up. He says while shaking the boy. He goes on to say, Here's your suit. He plops said suit onto the bed, but before leaving, he asks, Do you know if your sister slept in a room last night? Peter replies, I don't know. Cuts to outside where we see the man, presumably the father, walking over to the treehouse, as well as seeing a woman impatiently waiting in a car, wearing all black, I might add. The dad, whose name we find out later to be Steve, makes his way to the treehouse, sees a girl sleeping on the floor, and gets pretty clearly annoyed. Oh, Charlie, come on, he says, and continues to tell her. 
This is how you get pneumonia, she tells him. That's okay. <laughs> On our first glimpse of the girl named Charlie, we can see she has some type of deformity. Steve tells her to hurry because they're late and her mother is in the car already. Cut to picture of recently deceased grandmother, then to the woman we saw waiting in a car a few moments ago, except now she's giving a eulogy. We can assume at this point, this is Annie. She goes on to say how great it is to see all the strange new faces and how touched her mom would be, as well as being suspicious of the turnout. She says her mother was very secretive and private woman, with private rituals and private friends. She goes on with saying how difficult of a woman her mother was to read. She also says her mother was capable of being very sweet and loving. She also could be incredibly stubborn, she says, which maybe explains me. While her mother is giving this speech, we hear the daughter start making these odd clicking sounds with her tongue, while sketching out a caricature of her mother on a notepad. After the speech that the mother gives, we see one of the grandmother's presumed friends going up to her casket with a vial, putting whatever is in the vial on her finger, and then rubbing on the lips of the dead grandma. We, of course, see this at the same time as Charlie. Charlie's watching while getting ready to munch down on a chocolate bar, and just as she takes her first bite, her father comes up, asks if the bar has nuts, to which Charlie tells him no. They turn around and start to walk away, and the mother is behind them, to which she also asks if the bar has nuts, making a point to note that they don't have the EpiPen with them. Fun fact! The interior of the home that we're about to go into, when we see the family home for the first time, all of that was actually built on a soundstage. None of that is the interior of the actual home. That kind of makes so sense So they took the actual like house and then built the actual house on a soundstage because they knew they wanted to fuck it up later. There is just some random guy who's just kind of smiling creepily at Charlie. He sure is. Um, <laughs> yeah, you'll actually... He looks like a Ken yeah. Barbie doll. You see him a lot through kind the movie. Kind of, yeah. But yeah, I was going to see him later on in a specific scene. Oh. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say you specifically do. you it's, see him it's later. It's subtle. But, yeah, it's very subtle. But, like, yeah, it was one of those, like, that stood out to me throughout that scene. Is like, cause, so it didn't surprise me so much whenever you see him later in the movie. Because it just, I remember seeing him, I was just like, that guy is just s- staring and smiling way too much at this little girl who's staring at her dead grandmother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. It's creepy. But there's that, and it d- does also show our, show the necklace around our grandmother's neck while she's in her grave. And it's the first time you see a symbol that, once again, you'll see a lot throughout the movie. And I will also note that um, Annie is also wearing the same necklace. She is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you'll see that sigil throughout the whole film. A lot. Yes. It's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so the family gets home, and they start kind of de-stressing and kind of decompressing from the whole event and uh steve tells everyone to take their shoes off they take their shoes off and he asks like should i should i be feeling worse about any of this like should i feel bad about this seems like you feel the exact way you are feeling everything else will happen then we cut to her upstairs working on her models which we learn that the models that we see from earlier in the film are models that she works on steve comes in and he asks how it's going Oh, um, those models, by the way, I was thinking about it. Those are a, a very big metaphor uh, for uh, the horror aspect. Well, actually, not even just horror. There's actually uh, how they link the, the, the supernatural tale to this towards the, 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 the tale of grief. Uh-huh. Um, the, the houses play as a, a really uh, – a pretty cool gateway between the two as a metaphor, but – I'll get into that later because I don't want to give any spoils. Spoildies. The spoilsers. Spoil the spoil these spoils? 
you know, when you do a little bit of a spoily spoily, you know, like, oh, oh I, it's a spoily. Oh, it's a spoily. Mm-hmm. Oh, spoilies. So Steve starts asking if Annie is still toiling away at the hospice, and she says she is, but she's also working at the preschool at the same time. Uh, he goes on to ask when her deadline is. It's seven months from now, right? She's like six and a half. He's like, ooh, it's coming along. Any idea for titles? And cuts away to Peter, and he's kind of li- sitting in his bed, messing around with his guitar. Steve comes in, he tells him good night, and they have this kind of little moment where he's like, how do you feel about your uh, grandma dying? Are you sad? Seeing, uh, Peter's like, eh, I guess. I mean, you want me to say yes, so eh. <laughs> Dad says that he gets it. Tells him that he loves him, and he leaves. Then we get a cut to Annie going into Charlie's room. Hey, I have a question. Yeah. Do you guys like the dad? I think he's like a blank slate. He's fine. Yeah, he's not really present throughout the whole thing, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I I like him for that, though. Because he's a very passive... He's extremely passive, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of like a grounding of the family in a weird way. Exactly. Like, he doesn't let his, his... personality again maybe he just doesn't have one but his personality doesn't <laughs> seem to dominate the lives of the other family members which i think is kind of a a cool uh characteristic for someone in his position i think in a weird sense he was just kind of playing support because you know his wife's mother just died and so he's just trying to like if she has any grief then he wants to be there for her but if not then you know he still wants to just you know kind of go with the flow of how things are going and he wants to try to be you know, a good husband and a good father in that sense. And so he just more or less, he kind of has this attitude of like, if you need me for anything, I'm right here. Well, see, what's really cool though, is it's, he he doesn't have a dominating supporting presence. You know what I mean? Like he's not, well, he doesn't demand it either. Face yeah. About it. Yeah. He's not like, I want you to know I'm here for you. <laughs> no, he's, but, but you know that he is though, at the same time kind of thing. Just exactly. Like, okay, like, like he does it through his actions. It's yeah, he not just like kind of like, all right, if you need me, I'll be over here. Yeah, no, I think his character does exactly what it needs to do in the movie by being the sane voice of reason in all of yeah. it, where everything else is completely fucking insane and out of place. He's the one normal human in everything. Yeah, well, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> <laughs> so when Annie gets into Charlie's room... um, she just kind of sits down at the bed and asks what she's drawing on her notepad, asks if it's grandma. And Charlie's like, no. Nah, nah. Then at this point, mom tells Charlie, You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she, she needed to feed you. Drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I do really? remember when she started laughing at, at her child. <laughs> And she's like, she's like, oh, I'm just fucking, I'm just fucking, nobody wants me. <laughs> Charlie comments saying, she wanted me to be a boy. Annie tells her she was a tomboy when growing up too. And Charlie asks who will take care of her when she dies. Annie tells her that dad or Peter will do it. And Charlie seems none too pleased. And he goes on to say that Charlie didn't cry as a baby and asks if she felt like she wanted to cry today. Charlie just gets upset about it. You know, the, the problem is, I feel like that was not, it wasn't really fair um, for her to just when, when she says, well, who's going to take care of me when you die to just automatically assume the dad and the brother, especially the dad. I feel like he's getting kind of burned in that deal. You know what I mean? Just, it's, not, it's totally not a fatherly deal. Totally not. Yeah. 
cuts to the wall, and in a small writing, we see the word satiny written on the wall. The mom sees it too, and doesn't pay much mind to it. She kisses Charlie's arm and tells her goodnight. Annie goes to turn the lights off in her craft room and decides to take a look at a box labeled Mom's Things. She opens it up and finds a photo album labeled Memories, starts flipping through it, and then drops it back in the box. When she does, she notices another book in the box titled Notes on Spiritualism. Inside of the book, she finds a note, and the note says... My darling dear, beautiful Annie, forgive me all the things I could not tell you. Please don't hate me and try not to display your losses. You will see in the end if they were worth it. Our sacrifices will pale next to the rewards. Love. I mean, for all we know, the mom could have actually sounded like yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. I... I claim creative license. <laughs> you claim the fuck out of that license. <laughs> Abused it, I would say. <laughs> After Annie reads the letter, she looks upset and quickly throws the note and that book back into the box. She angrily goes to turn the light off and leave the room. But when she turns the light off, she sees the outline of someone. An outline that looks eerily like her mom. She, of course, freaks out and flips the light back on. When she does, the shape is gone. Mom? Annie says and begins looking around the room. Her eye catches a model that she made. The model is her, Annie, breastfeeding. And her mom, with her tit out, trying to breastfeed the baby also. Which is safe to assume that the baby is Charlie at this point. Annie goes to the bedroom and tells her husband that she scared herself in the workshop. Kisses him and cuts to the next day with Charlie at school. So, when at school, Charlie is distracted in class, and she's playing with this little model thing that she's been making. Teacher comes up, and she's like, hey, uh, playing with that? You finish your test? Like, uh, no, not yet. She's like, well, what if you, uh, I don't know, maybe put the toy away and fucking do your test? <laughs> Basically. That's the attitude I got off the teacher. <laughs> that's kind of a teacher's attitude whenever you're screwing around in class, though. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, okay. And we just see this shot in the distance, a blurry shot of this bird flying in towards the window and then, bam, smacks into the fucking window. Leaving um, a nice little blood stain on said window. It does. It freaks the whole class out. And then there's a kid, like, right next to Charlie that has this really dumb face on. Like, the kid was obviously told to just be like, act kind of scared and freaked out. And the kid had no idea what he was doing. Like, yeah, that kid was smiling and laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, kudos to them for catch getting that right. Because that is exactly what a little... Um, what a, what a class of a bunch of little just amped up monsters would react <laughs> yeah they probably would just all freaking out and the teachers just trying their best to uh make or make things sane in the classroom again while everyone's freaking out because like as soon as there's a loud sound i'll just start going yeah anyway. except totally for charlie yeah except do. for charlie which is how you know charlie's not normal no not you know at all. i know that teacher was like you know, I had just got them all to focus on their damn test. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> bird. So it cuts over to Peter in school, and he's just staring at this girl's ass that's sitting in front of him. But, like, not like in a normal way that, like, a weird pervy kid would stare at an ass. Like, it's not like... It's just, like, there. Yeah, it's just, like, ass is just there. <laughs> yep, that is an ass. Yeah. It's very much a, a horny high schooler thing to do, though. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's pretty much just He's also very he's into a, this he's a girl. Teenager. So. Yeah. He's extremely into this girl in the way that like 
she talks to him and he just stares at her. <laughs> Which is interesting because it doesn't really go anywhere. It just It's just there. It's, it's just, just a there. thing. Yeah. Well, actually, I will say this from a story thing though. It it, it it's because she, if I if I'm correct, she she does show up in the movie at other times, right? Just kind of as a person who's there in the yeah. class. Yeah, kind, it just kind of shows that he's interested in her. Like, it, yeah. maybe this well, is a story th- plot that might go somewhere. Yeah. Think of it like this, though. It's it's the priorities before the moment, right? Because yeah. he this will be the only. Well, fuck it, man. Spoilers. But <laughs> this is the only time where he's going to be as focused as he is on those kind of things. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean that it is important in its own way because we're, we're this is a this is movie definitely about the raw feeling of for instance tragedy and, and grief for sure so I mean that's this kind of shows what happened before and um, said tragedy and grief in his case um well I don't know if I want to say this like the guilt I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely yeah yeah but um yeah with it, it just kind of shows like where his priorities are currently set which does more or less become a plot point later on in the movie. Because mm-hmm. he ain't looking at that ass later. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter gets a text while he's in class, gets a friend asking him if he wants to smoke later, and he texts him back like, yeah, of course I want to smoke. I love the pot. And he loves smoking <laughs> exactly. the devil's lettuce. <laughs> um, and the teacher's like, hey, Peter, you want to weigh in on the discussion? He's like, uh, which part? And the teacher just kind of stares at him like he's a fucking idiot. And which it's more uh, almost like they were talking about Greek myth with that one, which like the way that they yeah. were talking about it kind of pl- does play into the story a little bit. Yeah. Everything it they're does, talking about sure. in the classes is like destiny. Yeah. it Well, it's about destiny and like whether or not like their choices are, is it more tragic because their choices are because they had a choice or because they didn't have a choice. Yeah. And yeah. like what, or whether they believe like, you know, which one is worse in a sense, which kind of in a little bit is foreshadowing. Yeah, it is. It's, but it's also if I if I recall, um, they were also talking about uh, the hero's inability to see the signs. Yes, yes, going that too. around him. Yeah, um, and then also the thing with the student was freaking hilarious, man. Is it tragic or less tragic? Less tragic. Why? Because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the like, yeah, I could strangle you. <laughs> you little shit! You're almost eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> After all this, cuts over to the dead bird on the bush that hit the window at Charlie's school while Charlie just stares at it while eating a chocolate bar creepily. She proceeds to cut the bird's head off and put it in her pocket. Which is a very drawn-out scene whenever it does it, too. Like It just it, is. it lets you feel how creepy all of this really is. Mm-hmm. And then she turns around and some stranger is just kind of watching her from across the street. And the stranger waves at her. Cut to Annie in her crafts room, using her laptop as a reference piece for a model she is working on, where she is making a tiny little laptop. And the webpage that she's looking at is something to do with apparitions and ghosts and stuff like that. I don't know oh, if is you it? noticed. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> so, Steve gets home, and they all greet each other. Annie goes to walk down the stairs, but gets distracted by her mother's old room. She walks in, and when she does, we see a strange symbol on the floor. It's a little triangle thing we'll see throughout the movie. Uh, Annie closes the door. When Annie gets downstairs, she asks the husband if he went into her room. And he says, no, I didn't. Why? And Annie, like, goes up, and she makes him lock the door, telling him she knows it's irrational, but thank you anyway, just because, you know, who knows? 
And she's paranoid because seeing the apparition of her mom. Um, in the background, we hear Peter answer a phone, and then he brings the phone to the dad, saying it's the cemetery. The dad says on the phone, Yes. What do you mean? Desecrated? But it's been only a week. Okay, yes. Y- yes, sure, I understand. Why don't I call you back? Annie asks what it was about, and he says it's just some billing crap. So Annie says she's going to go and see a movie. Cut to Annie driving up to some type of meeting. She goes in. When she walks in, we see a sign that says, Losing a loved one. Grief recovery. The guy says they set aside time for newcomers if they want to speak, and Annie raises her hand, then changes her mind. And she changes it back after the guy says no pressure. She says, Hi, I'm Annie. And everyone does the whole... Hi, Annie, thing. Well, I think the funny thing about that scene, too, is, like, he asks if you want to go first, and she's like, I better not. And then everyone is just quiet, waiting yeah. for her. And it's just, like, <laughs> she doesn't want to go first, but everyone is pressuring her to go first. Yeah, peer pressure. So, fun fact. Uh, Tony Collette, the girl who plays Annie here, uh, told her agent, actually, before this movie, that she was completely done doing dramas. And she had done plenty of those and was ready to move on and do more lighthearted stuff, like comedies and romantic <laughs> stuff. And then Ari Aster showed her this script, and she actually became upset because she knew that there was no way that she would be able to pass this movie up. So I don't want to do all these heavy movies anymore. And then well, this fucking this. thing lops on oh, her desk. Read this. God damn it. God fucking damn it. Okay, maybe we can get another actress. No, we'll fucking do it, you son of a bitch. So, Annie finally gives in to all of the peer pressure and says... My mom died a week ago, so I'm just here for trying it. I have a lot of resistance to see to things like this. But I I came to these a couple years ago. Well, I was forced to come, but I guess it helped. So um, my mom was old and she wasn't all together there in the end. And we were pretty much estranged before that. So it really wasn't a huge blow, but I did love her. And she didn't have an easy life. She had DID, which became extreme at the end, and dementia, and my father died when I was a baby from starvation because he had psychotic depression, and he starved himself, which I'm sure is just as pleasant as it sounds. Then there's my brother. My brother has schizophrenia, and when he was 16, he hanged himself in my mother's bedroom, and of course, his suicide note blamed her, accusing her of putting people inside him. So that was my mom's life. At this point, the entire group looks extremely uncomfortable, and no one really wants to say anything, so Annie just keeps talking. And then she lived in our house at the end before hospice. Then we weren't even talking at the end. I mean, we were, then we weren't, and then we were. She's completely manipulative. Until my husband finally enforced a no-contact rule, which lasted until I got pregnant with my daughter. I didn't let her anywhere near me when I had my first, my son, which is why I gave her my daughter, who she immediately stabbed her hooks into, and I, I just felt guilty again. And when she got sick, not that she was even really my mom, and not that she would ever feel guilty about anything, and I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. I'm not even sure if they could, if they could give me that support. I just sometimes feel like it's all ruined. Then I realize that I am to blame. Or not that I am to blame, but 
I am blamed. And what do you think you're blamed for? I don't know. I can't unpack that. There's... Yeah, there's so much there that it's really hard to unpack. But one thing I really liked in particular is when she said that she gave her mom her daughter. Yeah. That's really important that, that, that how she says that. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I don't know if I want to go into spoilers or anything like that. But... One thing about that. Fuck whenever... <laughs> <laughs> the one thing about that speech, whenever she's giving it to about like how traumatic her family experience was growing up i was halfway expecting somebody just like once or once she paused like someone just to be like yeah my dog died a year ago (laughs) (laughs) and she also goes in to say that her brother had schizophrenia and um the mother was or he said that the mother was trying to put people inside of him and that's sort of um yeah that foreshadowing that is definitely foreshadowing what is to come yeah so it was possibly not schizophrenia at all, and who knows what any of this was, honestly. I mean, you can basically lead everything back to the grandma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean. So, one thing I really like about the um, the mom's character, she, she gives a speech a second time, and I'll, I'll talk about that when it comes up, but with this one, the reason why it's so hard to unpack is she's telling a linear story of events that happened with the mom, but she's projecting, like, everything onto it, so there's so much different emotions there, you know? Until the, the end, it's not even about her mom, it's about how she feels blamed, and so it's, it's like, it feels so real, and it's just so hard to unpack, because her whole character is in that speech, you know? Yeah. And that's why it's you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I can't really break that down, that that speech down, and to like process its parts because it, it's so so much is intertwined in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that little speech tells you everything about her character and what she thought about her mom, and it tells you about her mom a lot without actually telling you it's telling you about her mom a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like in the speech, it feels like she's been holding this stuff back for a very long time, and, like, she's just letting everything out. Yeah. All it kind of goes into, like, you're in that safe space, and then, like, you don't realize all this stuff is bugging you until you start letting it out, and then it just starts pouring out. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff, man, for sure. So the next scene cuts to Peter in his room, and he just has weed scattered all over his desk right in front of his computer screen, and... He- and it's good to know on the computer screen is just him cyber-stalking the girl he's into. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but also with that, like, he takes a little bit of the weed, and he's like, starts po- packing into this bong, and then he goes and sits by the window, and he starts smoking from it, and... During this time, you can't see... Like, you can't hear a little bit of what's going on throughout the house, but it's mostly just focusing on him and, like, him mm-hmm. trying not to get caught smoking weed. And you hear his phone ring and uh, he checks it and it's a text message from one of his friends saying that uh, that there's going to be a party tonight and to make sure to bring his dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he starts trying to think of a way to, you know, get to this party. And so he goes to his mom when she's making all these little. Well, uh, a nice little shot we get before that is when he's blowing the smoke out the window in the foreground. We actually hear. <sighs> yeah, that's and we right. See the breath. Yeah, I was going to say, because you see smoke coming out of the window, and then you see breath coming out afterwards, too. Mm-hmm. Which kind of shows, you know, they're being watched. So, it actually goes to a shot of 
Charlie uh, working on her weird pigeon thing. That's right. Because, yeah, she cut the head off that pigeon. Mm-hmm, and she kept it. And she took yeah. it home. And she, you get to see that she has a like, little arts and crafts table of shit she just puts together. Yeah. It's and- weird. And she's decided that this pigeon head is going to be the centerpiece for one of her weird little pieces of art. And during this time, that's whenever you get to first see like this weird blue shockwave that kind of just encompasses her room for a little while. Yeah, and she looks out the window and she's like, oh, well, I guess I got to go check what that's about. And it cuts over to Annie and she's cutting tomatoes. Gross. And <laughs> tomatoes are gross. Um, <laughs> fun fact. Fun fact. That was actually just problems with the camera that they didn't feel like editing out. (laughs) (laughs) And she gets a text and it's from the, um, what is it? It's from the gallery. She gets a text saying, hi, Annie, don't want to bother you, but we'd love to see where your progress is. Could you possibly send us pics of your work at its current stage? I promise we won't judge. Smiley face, Sylvia. Yeah, but then is whenever it cuts to her. Yeah, she's uh, rearranging the model and getting. So it's basically getting ready to take a picture of it whenever Peter enters the room and yeah, and asks like, hey, mom, do you think I could borrow one of the cars tonight? And that's when she's just kind of like, why do you need the, one of the cars tonight? Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm going to be going to like this party thing. She's like. Okay, are you going to be drinking? She's like... And he's like, no, it's like a school barbecue that's happening. Yeah, like, we're too underage. How would we even get alcohol? She's like, okay, well, that's some bullshit. I didn't ask if there's going to be alcohol. I'll ask if you'll be drinking. He's like, uh, no. He's like, okay, did your little sister want to go? Uh, I don't know. Does she want to go? Uh, I don't know. Did you ask her? <laughs> Basically. Um, and then it's like, between all this, it's cutting between showing Charlie walking outside and following this light. It's easy. It's easy to make that mistake with the movie. But fun fact: it was just a problem with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> while they were trying to fix it, she was just wandering around, waiting for her scene. <laughs> and they accidentally kept the 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 that part, but cut out her next scene. That is a fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I contribute. <laughs> <laughs> In this scene where he's asking to borrow the car, you can kind of um, feel the tension between them. Like, you know, they don't really get along. Uh, it doesn't explain why until a little later, but... I mean, to be honest, whenever I first saw this scene, like, what came to mind is, like, she knows he's lying and he's going to be going to a party, but he's just trying to talk his way into it, and she's just basically trying to talk him out of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think like, she cares that he's going to a party. I think she's one of those cool parents who are just super supportive. I don't know. Like, I think that was her way of just, like, saying, like, you're not getting out of this, you little shit kind of thing. Maybe. Which is why he's like, okay, you want to go to this party and go drink? Bring your 13-year-old sister with you, then. I've not had a 13-year-old little sister before, but I imagine that's a giant cock block. I feel like that would be the idea of it. You can swing it. (laughs) You can swing it? What does that even mean? (laughs) You, you, well, I mean, you I know exactly what that means. Sister, I would just bring her to a party and be like, "Look, there's cake. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> Come on, what's the worst that can happen?" <laughs> also, like, how many, how many like teen parties have you been to that like serves cake? They're I just like making, they're just like actually. baking a cake. That, that's a a, teen, is that a birthday party you're you talking went to about? A teen party yesterday. <laughs> also, how many teens do you know? Why do you know them? 
What are we talking about? I didn't say that. <laughs> Did they know you were there? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it cuts to outside and we see Charlie and she sees this woman wearing all white in a circle of fire. And she's just kind of staring at it. And then Annie runs out and she's like, what are you doing out here? In your bare feet? Are you stupid? Come on, you little shit. Basically, she almost says like that exact thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing that got me about that scene too is she's like, "You're not wearing a jacket," even though she's wearing an orange hoodie at the time, and it's like, "And you, you're not wearing shoes." Like, what are you doing out here? And then, it like, doesn't look very cold out. So like, yeah, it doesn't look it very really cold doesn't. out. And she's wearing a big, and she's wearing like an oversized hoodie. Like I've never been to any cold places that are that fucking green and vibrant outside. So I'm gonna say it's pretty warm. I mean, to be fair, we live in an Arctic desert, though. You live in an Arctic desert. That's yeah, fair. and also that's the thing. It's context. So if you're in a warm environment for the most part, all of a sudden things that won't be really cold to someone, for instance, who lives in a really Arctic area, it's going to be really cold. Like 40 degrees all of a sudden becomes very cold. So Annie finally gets Charlie back into the house. Charlie's about to run upstairs, and she tells her to take all her socks off. Not all, both. She tells her to take both of her socks off. And so she does, and then she's like, okay, you know what? You are going to this party with Peter tonight. He's like, I don't want to go to a party. Like, yeah, you're going to go to a party. What party? With kids. It's fine. No, it's not fine. You're going to this party with kids, and you're going to socialize. And Peter walks into the room. He's like, so what's up? She's, like, she's going to the party with you. Great. And then he's like, that means you really can't drink now. He's like, I really wasn't going to. Fun fact! The director wanted Alex Wolf, who played Peter, and Millie Shapiro, who played Charlie to go out on a dinner together in character. So they did, and the dinner wound up with um, Alex constantly trying to make conversation with her because they're in character, and her just being quiet the whole time and using two or three words every few minutes. And they were there at that dinner for three hours, and it was mostly silent. Lovely. Yeah, so that's how it helped them get into character. Also, fun fact, I'll add this in somewhere else. I didn't have it written down. I just remembered it. Um, they had the parents go, or the people who played the parents, I should say, in character, go and take the girl who played Charlie out to go and buy that sweatshirt. So the sweatshirt that she's wearing in the movie is one they all picked out together in character. So it's weird, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of those weird little director's touches. Yeah. So we finally get to start going to this party that we've been talking about. And we see Peter driving her there, and he's just kind of looking in the rearview mirror, watching her do her weird little creepy little girl thing. I don't know. <laughs> Hearing her do her... Yeah. Every now and then. Those are... By the way, those aren't creepy little girl things. That's just creepy Charlie things. Yeah, that's yeah. true, actually. Yes. <laughs> that's not just a thing all little girls do, I suppose. I would assume, at least. <laughs> um, okay. Um, yeah, all little girls like to cut... The heads of a pigeon, so that that's you what know I did. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> um, so they're driving to this party, and ominous music is playing, of course, because that's basically the entire soundtrack is ominous bass throughout the whole thing. And when they're driving, the camera concentrates on this pole that they drive by, and on this pole you see these symbols. Some of them, the symbols that were the necklace that Annie's mom made, and apparently the necklace that Annie wears as well, right? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So those symbols are all over this pole. And they finally get to the party. The per- Well, they get inside, first of all. And Charlie is just kind of hanging on to Peter. And, you know, she's basically shadowing him the entire time while he's there. And he's talking to his friends while she's just literally standing directly behind him. And yeah. he does see the girl that he really likes. Yeah. So he goes over and he goes to talk to her. He's like... Hey, so I heard about this party. You think I should come? And then I've never understood this answer at all in the movie. But she's like, either way, like I don't. Is that just a thing that you say? I think to that's people? just her way of saying I don't care. I don't know. I've ne- this exchange is completely awkward. No, he said. Um, he said. Um, so how's the party? And she said, Why? Why are you just wondering if she if you should come or not or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, Yeah, I don't know. Is it pretty good? Should I come? She's like, eh, Either way. Yeah. But I still don't like the conversation. It's super awkward. <laughs> I think it's meant to be it's super meant awkward. It's meant to be awkward, it's, but like, yeah. it's awkward, dumb teenager talk. Yeah, is what they're doing. But like, they just stare at each other awkwardly with like blank faces, and everybody else in the party, like all the extras, look super happy, like they're at a party. <laughs> Um, so he's finally like, so, uh, you like smoke weed or anything? And she's like, yeah. Cause I got like some super good weed. And she's like, there's a bong in the other room. It's like, awesome. <laughs> so they start to go into the other room and Charlie's like, wait, no, you have to stay out here. And he's like, no, I'm just Charlie. I'm just going to go in there for a second. Just hang out out here. I don't want to hang out out here. Like, well, just look, they're making cake over there. Just go get a piece of cake. It's not for everybody. Yes, it is for everybody. It's a party. Just go stand over there and they'll give you a piece of cake. So the thing that we didn't mention before was that the first shot you see in this big party is there's teenagers just chopping up a bunch of fucking nuts. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, and um, also, the nuts seem to be pretty visible on the cake. Extremely. You think she would pretty much stay away from it. She's old enough to know that she's very allergic to nuts. Right. And she just eats it anyway. Yeah, I mean, her older brother told her to. True. I, I mean, do I, feel like there's some context to it that you find out later. Like her role in the bigger scheme of things, why this might be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it's probably the role, but I think another part of it is Charlie is just kind of a very awkward person to begin with. And so putting someone like her into a party just takes her way out of her element and makes her very uncomfortable. And so she. Yeah. It seems like chocolate is her comfort. That's true, like, actually. Did we not even mention just... that she yes. has a nut allergy? Yes. yes. Yeah, we did. Yes. And yeah, chocolate does seem to be her comfort. I never it picked does. up on that. Because, yeah. yeah, like at when she's... funeral. Yeah, when and... she's at the funeral and she's feeling uncomfortable, she just starts eating chocolate whenever she's at school. And, like, right before she actually cuts the head off that bird, she's also eating chocolate. So, yeah. like, it just... It's what she does to comfort herself is she starts eating chocolate. Comfort herself or a trigger, kind of like a bell? Or a bell, yeah. Ooh. What are you talking about? You know, ring a bell, eat the cracker. What do you mean? Like, you have lost dogs? Like, yeah, like somebody rings a bell, and every time they ring the bell, they hand you a cracker. Every time you hear a bell after a certain while, you're going to start expecting a cracker. Interesting. Which is, I think I see what you're talking about. Yeah, which about. is, once again, Pavlov's dog. Cause our yeah. Pavlov was a scientist. For people who don't know, I guess. Pavlov was a scientist. Uh, he did a theory wherever uh, he would feed he- these dogs, and he would ring a bell right before he fed the dogs. And it got to the point that uh, even if there was food in their bowl, they wouldn't start eating until they heard that bell ring, because that was their sign to say to eat. And if he rang the bell and there wasn't any food, it would actually confuse them. So it has that effect, like you said, with the bell ring. 
Yeah, no, but I, I understand this. I under I but I was under was trying to understand why. So what what you're saying is that she was trained to eat chocolate during a certain trigger, which could have potentially set up this moment. Maybe. Is that what you, no? But was that the what you're implying? Yeah, it's possible. It's a possibility. I still like the. It's interest. That's an interesting theory. But that's the way that I think about those. Like that's her way to comfort herself is to start eating chocolate and get like that dopamine effect from eating said chocolate. Yeah, I mean we learned that the grandma raised her, so it's not unreasonable to think that every time something weird or fucked up started happening, the grandma would give her a piece of chocolate. Yeah. To... So then the question is, who else was at this party? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I like that. That's, yeah. a, that's a cool theory. Yeah, so Charlie does, in fact, start eating this cake while Peter is just off in the other room smoking all of the weeds. Yeah. Just getting high off his balls. Mm-hmm. And Charlie's, like, eats it, and then she goes and sits down and starts playing with her weird toy craft thing that she's been making the whole movie. And she, like, starts, like... <sighs> Almost like if she had COVID. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Keeping it current. Yeah. And so she gets up, she goes to get a drink of water because she can't breathe and maybe water will help. Uh, Water doesn't help. So she goes and wanders into the room where Peter is sitting. She's like, Peter, uh, I don't know what's wrong. I can't breathe. He's like, what do you mean? And like she walks on the light a little bit and you see that her face is all big and bloated up and she's breathing like... (sighs) Like Rocky uh, when he goes to a teenage girl's party. <laughs> I had just thought that was her face. <laughs> does, that, does that make me insensitive? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. But no, you do see some swelling on her. And like you see it in both her neck and her face. Like it's starting to swell up and discolor. And she starts saying things like, my throat feels like it's twice the size it should be. And I'm having trouble breathing. Yeah, And that's whenever, you know... Peter being high as ball or high as draft pussy. That's probably the best way to put it. Starts to sober up. Could you imagine being that high and having to handle a situation like (laughs) that? Yeah, that really couldn't. (laughs) That would be awful. Maybe. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe. (laughs) So yeah, Peter picks her up immediately, takes her out to the car and starts speeding off like a madman just saying like don't worry don't worry we're getting you to the hospital we're getting you to the hospital and in the back seat all the while charlie's back there and she's grasping at her throat and kicking and breathing harder and harder because she can't get air and peter's like don't worry we're almost to the hospital we're gonna get there just quick just just quickly and she's like breathing heavily and breathing heavily and she she, she rolls saying, down the window yeah she is saying that like i can't breathe i can't breathe yeah and i think too and like that you know her panicking causes peter to panic even more so yeah and so she rolls down the window she sticks her head out of the car to try and get some more air wait 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 wait. we need to get somber for this part <clears throat> okay and she sticks her head out of the car to try and get some more. whoa whoa <laughs> slower sad <laughs> Louder and sadder. She she sticks her head out the car (laughs) to get some air. And Peter sees an animal in the middle of the road. And so he swerves to miss the animal in the middle of the road. And when he swerves, he swerves to the side of the road. And since Charlie has her head out of the window... She gets decapitated. What? No, no. <laughs> Which, yeah, like I said, th- at, it was at this point in the movie that I had my oh shit moment. 
Yeah, so this like, happens instantly, and it doesn't really give you a fair warning. It does foreshadow on repeat viewings. You get to notice it a little bit more. But if you're just watching it nonchalantly as a normal horror movie that you don't have to look more into, then this takes you by surprise. And this is the moment we were talking about earlier. This is the heavy right turn of the movie. She gets decapitated. For real. This character is now dead. Her head flies off to the side of the road. Her body falls into the back seat. And Peter slams on the brakes. And he instantly knows how he fucked up. And so he's sitting there and he's trying to breathe and trying to comprehend everything that just happened. And he looks in the rearview mirror. He sees the body back there just slightly. We only see a little bit of it. And he's starting to fumble around for his words and he almost starts to ask, are you okay? But he doesn't finish it. Instead, he takes his foot off the brake and slowly, slowly drives home. It's, um, this is a great scene. It is. It's a very great scene. I also audibly gasped at this point the first time I saw this movie. Um, It's shocking. You do not expect it at all. This is very much... It's very painful. It is. And... The way they make the the acting for that is just like the question becomes you could see yourself, you know, like in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just that's that's how good the acting is, is. It makes it like, yeah, this is this is something that people have had to go through. You know what I mean? And that's I don't know, man, that was painful shit. Yeah. Seeing that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the thing about it is the scene feels like it takes forever to sit through, but it does it in a very good way because it's lets you it makes you soak in what the fuck just happened. Yeah, it really makes you feel the impact of the situation. Yeah. And like Rocky said, where it gives you that sense of like, you know, it puts you in the same shoes of that because like he doesn't know what to what to do next, which that's a very reasonable thing to say is like, what the fuck do I do now? Kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, he has no idea. I usually don't think about what I'm going to do in someone's shoes in a movie, but the way that that was acted, it raised the question to me, well, how would I handle that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which and I think is phenomenal acting to actually and the fact that you force s- me. Yeah. The fact they had to sit there and soak in it for a little while too, just yeah. like kind of, it makes you feel the gravity of what the, of what happened and how yeah. traumatizing all of this is to him. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, the whole scene is done really well. Like this is out in the middle of nowhere. There's no lights, nobody else on the road in the middle of the night. And it's just like, he's just out there yeah, alone. This awful thing just happened. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, like you guys were saying, it really allows you to put yourself in those shoes and try and figure out what you would do in that situation to where like, I can't say I would, be too different from Peter. Maybe one or two things I would be a little different on. I mean, there's something, I guess it probably shows where my mindset went. Cause like, I honestly thought like the first thought that came to mind is like, he's going to take the body. He's going to bury it out in the middle of nowhere and be like, <laughs> Hey, I, I don't know what happened to her at this party. And like, just try to play I it off. Like, cake and she was just gone. Yeah. <clears throat> and then like the fucking murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> like I thought it was going to make a turn like that for a little while. I mean, this one action does make it, the movie turn into something completely differently. Oh, yeah. up to this point, the movie has been like, this weird, creepy little girl and some sort of weird ghost thing is happening. And then this happens, and it's a completely different thing afterwards. Yeah, yeah and I think was... it's going to um, 
focus on her and all the creepy things she does, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, and if you watch the trailers for this movie, it makes it feel like the entire movie is going to be concentrated on this little girl. It does, yeah. yeah. And then you watch the movie and this happens and you're like, okay, now what? Yeah, exactly. Now what? You have no idea what's going to happen after this. And right. so everything Which that is happens is... pretty cool because it's that change of priorities, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That they've really established it, to this point. It takes this thing... Th- it's a movie that takes a premises that is very interesting and very like kind of sucks you into it and then completely throws it out the window for something more important. Yeah. So Peter slowly drives home. He pulls up and he just gets out of the car, walks inside. When he walks inside, you hear Annie say, like, oh, good. The kids are home. And he just walks up to his room, lays down in bed and just lays there until morning. And that morning, we start hearing Annie say, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be right back. I'm just going to go to the grocery store. I'll be right back in 25 minutes. And you hear the door of the house close. You hear the door of the car open and close. And you hear a blood-curdling scream because she just saw the headless body of her daughter in the back seat with no warning. It's just there. Even worse is you see it from... Peter's perspective. Yeah. Yes. Which once again yeah. makes you soak up this entire scene by seeing it through his perspective. Yeah, he was fucking hard to watch. Oh, yeah. He was just laying in bed all night just waiting for that moment to happen. Because he knew it was gonna happen. Yeah. Well the thing <laughs> I feel like this is one of those situations to where the worst po- the worst possible thing that you could do is nothing, and that's pretty much what he did. Yeah, yeah. Like he could have done pretty much anything else to make the to try to rectify the situation in any way shape or form better like that's, he could have once again like the, he could have the situation how do you rectify it that you was, don't but like the, there's making someone else find it find out on their own is probably the worst way to go about it like it would have been that's true i was gonna say it would have been hard for him to say like something like there was an accident i'm so sorry to his mom and then like to give him some sense of a warning that their daughter's dead now but he didn't even do that he just it was so traumatic for him that he did nothing. He just left the car and or left the body in the car, and then went up to his room and just laid in bed and like just waited for what basically the shitstorm that was going to fall on top of him. Yeah, like imagine I can think of one way that he could have done worse. Yeah, like and I that's was if thinking he left a note on the refrigerator like, "Hey, mom, left a mess in the car." <laughs> <laughs> no, like I think it would be a completely different movie if like. You hear that blood curling scream. He goes outside. Like, what? Oh, Charlie! What happened here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe. What did she do? She's always doing things like. Oh, she's so weird, <laughs> right, Mom? So weird. <laughs> well, it's no big deal. It's out in the desert. I'll find it. I'll find it. <laughs> I will reiterate. Uh, there is one other way to make it even worse than that. If you just like. And she's like, oh, good, the kids are at home. He just, like, kicked open the door and, like, mom, I broke Charlie and threw the dead body in their, in their bedroom. <laughs> All right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> uh, hey, mom, I, I, I broke Charlie. Uh, I'm a little bit high, so I'm going to take a nap. Hey, really quick. Pancakes tomorrow? Pancake? Can I put you down for some pancakes? Ah, okay, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) You're busy, you're busy. (laughs) So, after the blood-curling scream you hear, it cuts to a center-of-screen shot of Charlie's decapitated head. It's missing pieces of flesh around her jaw and mouth, also around her nose, and ants have decided that that is their new meal. They are crawling all over it, 
all up inside of it. And it lingers on this shot for a good 10 seconds while you continue to hear the blood-curdling scream that Annie is giving out. Which also makes a statement, because it really does set what kind of movie this is going to be, because that's really a kind of like, yeah, you know what fucking kind of movie yeah, this is. Yeah, now it's like, well, it can't go back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I hate to say, that's kind of like a realistic thing for a de- to happen to a dead body in the middle of the desert, yeah, but it like, is. it does set the pace of where this movie's going next, but it's like yeah. you told me to... The only warning you gave me of this movie is that the movie is very slow paced until it is not. Yes. And then this is the point where it is not anymore. Whenever you basically see a decapitated child head being eaten by ants. Mm-hmm. And while you hear the mother's. Yeah, while you yeah, hear the scream. mother's blood curdling scream. Yeah, so you just keep hearing Annie scream and it gets worse and worse and it cuts to her on her bedroom floor. And she's telling Steve, like, she just wants to die. It hurts too much. Please kill me. I want to die. I can't take all this pain. And Steve is just there holding her. And the camera pulls back out and turns right into the hallway. And we see Peter just standing there listening to his mom screaming that she just wants to be dead because of what he did. Something that really, I mean, I don't mean to think about it in this way but I was, I was watching that scene with her when she's like when she's on the floor and her, the way she she does um she like convulses with her body as if she's trying to expel expel the grief you know yeah that's very um realistic <laughs> good it's well it's because it, it makes you think about well it's it's very important to some of the themes in this movie particularly about again homes and stuff like that so while we continue to hear the blood-curdling screams, it cuts to Charlie being lowered into her grave. Annie, of course, still crying and screaming. Cuts to showing Steve at the house, and everybody is there for the reception afterwards. And they're eating, and he eventually just shows everybody the way out. And then we get a shot of a word that's etched onto the parents' bedroom wall. Zazas. And then Peter just goes to bed. Oh, oh, another cool thing about that scene was the the shot they made where Peter's looking through the stained glass. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And he looks like a like a distorted ghost. Yeah. Yeah, that is really I good. I think that's powerful shot, man. It is. Um Peter sees the treehouse through the, his window and a glowing red light coming from it. And he just starts kind of thinking and being awake it kind of like sets the point home that like ever since this happened peter has not slept he can't really function as a human being but he can't sleep either he's just kind of a shell of a human being at this point mm-hmm. um cuts to steve and he's looking through charlie's sketchbook and we see a sketch of a pigeon with a crown in it which is clearly the thing that she's been working on throughout the whole movie a little arts and crafts project and maybe also some foreshadowing for something later. Her little satanic arts and crafts. Yeah. (laughs) Inside the treehouse, we see Annie is sleeping, and she has two big heaters on at the time. There is some interesting color palettes in this movie. They use the color red a lot. Uh, It's subtle. Do you you have a... Like the context or or something to it? No, I just like the color. I was, yeah, I was going to say uh, oh, a lot you, of the I colors do feel very saturated to feel like they pop more in this movie, yeah. especially with yeah, the heater light that's coming out of uh, the clubhouse. Like that, that, It's very, very bright and very, very red it's in a very red. dark scene. Yeah. 
So cuts to Peter at school, and he is completely unable to pay attention, and he starts having daymares, I'll call them, um, about what happened to Charlie, and he starts seeing this rearview mirror in his peripheral vision of the night that he killed Charlie and having that visual in his head again. Um, I, my interpretation was um, it was kind of just tr- triggering trauma, so when he did a, a reflex that he did that night, it brought it back. So, like, he darted his eyes back yeah, because it was a very similar reflex to the mirror, sort of that sort of traumatic replaying of that moment. Mm-hmm. And then he has to, like, shake it off. Yeah. So then we cut to Peter smoking weed under the bleachers with his friends. And they're just kind of talking there, having normal high school conversation about dumb stuff. And he starts to what we believe now to be a panic attack. Um, He starts saying, like, he can't breathe and his throat is closing up. And he's like, everyone's like, no, no, man, it's just weed. It's just weed. You're fine. He's like, no, no, just, just hold my hand. Just hold my hand. Please, just hold my hand. And he's just breaking down, crying. And we cut to Peter later that night. And he's pulling up to his house, riding a bike. He's clearly not allowed to drive anymore. And he's just standing there in front of the doorway, afraid to go inside because he doesn't want to face what he's done. And at the same time, we see Annie slinking back in her car, watching him do it. He eventually does go inside, and once Peter does go inside, Annie starts her car and drives away. Which kind of- I think something that's, at least my opinion, I, I can't point this off as an observation, but I feel like watching Peter from the moment that the event happened to this point, is you do see a little bit of uh, healing, because you do see that he goes from being a shell of a person, to even though he's still, you know, in a really bad place, he's he's more animated. He's going through um, the processes of grief, is what it feels like. And yeah, but he's coming back. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he's he's trying to move past. Maybe not consciously, but he's at least active. You know, he's the the fact that he 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 does have these sort of intense reactions is much better than if they showed him just trudging like a like a hollow ghost the rest of the movie. Right. Yeah. You know, as soon as Annie ends up leaving the house. She ends up going straight back to the place where she went for that grief counseling. Mm-hmm. But she's sitting in her car and she's just looking at the entrance and she's debating whether or not she should go in. And eventually, after thinking about it for a little while, like the shot isn't too long, but you can tell she's been thinking about it for a while. She just starts her car up and she starts to pull away to go back home or go wherever else that she's going to go. Until this old lady kind of just jumps up in front of her car and starts trying to grab her attention and, like, asking her if she's going to – or if she'll roll down her window, she, she, she can talk to her. And when she does – or she does roll down her window and she's like, hey, like, you, you going to go inside and talk to the rest of us? Like, haven't I seen you here before? Yeah. And she's like, so how are you doing with your mom? And then he's like, no, no, I'm I'm here for my daughter this time, actually. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then this girl, she introduces herself. She's like, hey, my name's Joan. And then she starts to say, like, um, my son died just really abruptly to just get her attention. And she says, actually, it was her son and her grandson. They drown. And Annie is just shocked at this. And Joan's like, the meetings helped. They didn't make it better, but they made it seem like it was okay to not be okay. Joan's like, you know what? Here, I... I shouldn't be doing this, but here, here's my number. And she gives her number to Annie. And he's like, oh, okay, thank you, thank you. And she takes the number and she just drives off. Annie gets home, and then she says that she's going to go to bed. 
And Steve's like, where were you? Uh, I'll come up with you. I'm sorry. So he has go up with her and they're both sleeping in bed. And well, I wouldn't say they're sleeping. They're both just kind of laying in bed. I would say Steve is sleeping. Annie is unable to sleep for sure. Yeah. Well, the reason why I say this is because like during that scene, like Annie is very much like, you know, she's just laying in bed, but she's just kind of staring blankly at the wall. And whenever she gets up to move, you can see that Steve is still awake too. And like, he's just still laying there with his eyes open also. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's like, I'll be right back. And then he's like, no, you won't. You have the blanket. You're not coming right back. And she's like, I just can't sleep. So can I just go? Is that okay? She's like, I don't know. I guess just it's cold out there. She's like, I just can't sleep. Well, if you get cold, just go, go back inside. She's right. Like, okay. And so she goes to sleep in the treehouse. This is, again, <laughs> again, I'd like to point out. Uh, so again, <laughs> that treehouse is really important as a, as a metaphor. God, I can't get into any of the... You know what sucks? I really can't get into any of this until the end of the movie. Well, we're going to get there, so it's fine. I don't know. <laughs> no, we don't know that. I don't know if this is digging too deep, but... Um, I think the, it kind of like tries the... to paint the portrait that... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, I think it just kind of tries to paint the portrait of like... It says at the beginning, of, or kind of shows at the beginning of the movie that Charlie likes to sleep in there. And so like as somewhat metaphorically her mom likes to also sleep in there as like a comforting way to being closer to her now deceased daughter is how it probably originally tries to paint that think of it like this too that was charlie's treehouse charlie was and i think the mom had talked about this um yeah she did when she said that she gave charlie to the mom charlie wasn't like them right so it shows the separation of charlie from the the family dynamic I mean, there's right? there's a reason why Charlie's not like them, but we'll get. Well, that yeah, in. but I can't get. It, we'll get I can't get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that also goes into the, what it means to like what a house means, right? But it also, uh, in two ways, it's sort of the mom's kind of, you know, her life is all about Charlie at that moment, even though Charlie's not there. So she's kind of assumed that role, right? But even even that's kind of not the right way to say it because she's clearly it's still not her treehouse. It's Charlie's treehouse. So she's assuming an artificial role, you could say. What I was going to say. So on the treehouse, I don't know if this is digging too deep or not, or if it's just like the architecture of the treehouse. But on the treehouse, there is um, what appears to be a rune, Alec is, um, which means protection. So, oh, okay. Um, oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I didn't catch that either. I don't think most people would. And I don't know if this is like something that they meant to do or. I imagine it is. Yeah. Um, but it just means protection. So it sort of is used for protection and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, huh. Charlie sleeps up there. And then after she's gone, the mother sleeps up there. And then you know the rest. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. So yeah, Peter is still awake, obviously, and he sees the heater lights go on in the treehouse. But while that's going on, he also thinks that he sees a figure in the corner of his room. So he sees it, looks away, and then gets freaked out, looks back. Turns out just the shadows of jackets and clothes stacked on his chair. Cuts over to the next day, and there is mail just building up in the mail slot. And Annie is working on more miniatures in her room. Um, what kind of miniatures was she working on, though? 
Does it does it show because that's important too the types that she was in the mailbox. You you can you'll notice it if you look, but there's like a flyer for like a medium psychic something. So No shit. Huh. Yeah. That's just one of those little subtle things. That's actually kind of important, though. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I didn't catch that. So it's like she's being coaxed into a certain direction. God, but then you know what? It's like, God, do I have to do everything myself? (laughs) Yeah. The miniature that she is working on is of Charlie's room. And she's painting on the word that she saw that was behind Charlie's bed. For right. The movie. I was going to say, uh, while she's painting that uh, word on the wall, she ends up bumping a bottle of paint that she has. And it ends up falling on that note that was given to her by uh, that person that she met. Yeah. But here's another interesting thing that I didn't notice until Sam pointed it out today. She doesn't actually touch the paint. Oh. When it bumps no, over. No shit. Um, not only does she not touch the paint when it bumps over, but in the back through the window, you can see the glimmer. I didn't even notice that. I have never noticed that until Sam pointed it out to me. So it's another thing trying to coax her into the, into the certain direction. Right. Um, because the paint spilled all over the table and got on, got on the paper that the paper that had Joan's number on it. Right. And that's whenever she looks at it and decides like, you know what? I think I will go visit her. Yeah, so then it cuts to Annie going over to Joan's home and gets in there and Annie says, like, she looks at this mat and she's like, my mom used to, like, make doormats like that. And Joan's like, oh, yeah, it's a silly little cute thing, isn't it? And they go inside and Annie tells Joan about finding her daughter's body in the backseat of her car and just what that experience was like and how... How traumatic it was. Yeah, basically. And then um, we see that Annie is, she takes some meds with the tea that she's been given by Joan. And when she's drinking the tea, she makes this weird little, like, yucky face. (laughs) And she pulls something out of her mouth. Which, fun fact, um, there is a photo shown, just for a second, of Charlie as a baby uh, with her grandmother at some point earlier in the film. And... The grandmother is feeding her an herb, it looks like. I believe it's the same herb. Hmm, I never noticed that either. It's a very subtle thing that you wouldn't really notice lot, or yeah, even know say, there's of. There's a lot of and really subtle things that I'm realizing that I didn't even see those subtle things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, this like requires more than like one watch if you want to get into it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Nitty gritty. Yeah. So Joan goes on to ask about her relationship with her son and he says that This is when we learn a lot about why the relationship is what it is. She goes into saying, like, she used to sleepwalk. And a few years ago, one night, she woke up and she was by Peter's bed. And he was covered in paint thinner and she was covered in paint thinner. And also Charlie. And Charlie Charlie was also covered in paint thinner because they both shared a room at the time. And the only reason that the only thing that woke her up was the sound of the matchbox in her hand. She lit the match and she's like... I, the second that I realized what I was doing, I put the match out. Of course I put the match out. I would never actually do that. Of course I did. But since then, they just never trust me. They never let that go. Like, <laughs> well, fucking, yeah, you tried to burn them alive. In your sleep. Like, yeah. that, 
weirdly makes it worse. Yeah, and she's like, and it would be one thing if only I noticed it, but Peter woke up too and he saw it. <laughs> um, and she's like, she'll, he'll never forgive me for that. And so Peter gets home, and Steve tries to be a father to Peter, honestly. He's like, hey, how's it going, sport? Uh, did you go and take the SATs or ACTs or whatever? He's like, uh, yeah, I'll do that, Dad. He's like, do it because it's coming up. And it's important. <sighs> and as Peter just walks up the stairs and he just feels defeated because he just can't be a normal father anymore. I don't know, man. I feel like it's I feel like it's not him trying to be the role of a father. I think he's just that's, you know, that's his son. You know, that's yeah, that's true. That, that's that sort of um, that instinct that you're going to try to make sure that these these people are OK. Yeah, it's not. But I feel like the the big thing, like maybe the mom might feel that way. Like she needs to fit the image of what the mom is, and that explain kind of the resentment if Peter won't allow that family element to come back in. But for him, it's he's like, no, I really need you to do this because it's good for your future. Mm-hmm. Like I, I strongly care about that. Well, and it kind of also he shows, can't do anything. I feel like it also kind of shows like the importance of bringing back a sense of normalcy after a tragedy too. And that's what the father is trying to do in this scene in a weird way. Cause it's Maybe. just like one of those, yeah. like with the normal uh, for one, the normalcy. And like, also it's one of those, like he doesn't want his son to destroy his future because of something that happened too. So he's trying to like yeah. push him forward to do these things that are honestly good for him. But he knows that his son is still traumatized over what happened. Exactly. And that's why he, he doesn't, he, he can only show frustration at the end because there's literally no card to play to get his son to focus on this. That's important because he knows where his son's at and there's yeah, and it's, there's nothing he can yeah, do. Yeah, he can't exactly push you know? him into doing this after, you know, after what happened. Yeah. And so at this point, cuts to we see Annie in her workshop and Steve walks up, knocks on the door, goes in, and we see she's working on a very peculiar miniature to say the least. It is a miniature of the incident of when Charlie got beheaded. And it's very detailed. It shows the blood. It shows the head. It's the whole thing. She got all the details right. Really an artist here. And Steve's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I'm working on art. And he's like, no, it's just look at what you're doing. She's like, it's not an emotional thing. It's not about Peter. It is a neutral perspective of the incident. He's like... I just, I can't believe this. Can you imagine if Peter saw this right now? Which it seems like, um, you see her working on these miniatures of personal things throughout. And I feel like this is like a therapeutic thing for her. Yeah, it does seem that way. So like for her it is just this thing of like, she's just working on this cause she needs to work it out in her head and she like needs to get it out. But for like people not <laughs> in that perspective, it just looks like she is, obsessing over this incident it's also um an embodiment for life because i mean the the home sort of represents your person right and so the whole fact that her entire workplace has been consumed with grief is uh is kind of a representation of that sort of like the um that she's filled kind of with with the spirit of that tragedy yeah because that's that's what her job is is to make homes and that's that's her home. That that tragedy is her life, and so that the the miniatures is a reflection of it. Which um, there's actually something really cool. I, I can't. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> we'll get to it later. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Um. So Steve is like, you know what? I I made dinner, and she's like, 
And then Annie's like, I'll make dinner. It's fine. He's like, no, I made dinner. Come down. Don't come down. I don't give a shit. And he just leaves. <laughs> Which this is a point where he's losing his patience, kind of. Yeah, he's yeah. starting to be done with it. Well, I think it's that might have been his breaking point with it, too. Yeah, yeah. So, cuts to the family at dinner. And fun fact, Alex Wolf, the guy who played Peter in the movie, um, is a method actor. So, through all this role... Um, the director never called him by his name, Alex. He just called him Peter through everything. So when he was giving him stage directions, what he's supposed to be doing, he would call him Peter. And he was so method, in fact, that he didn't introduce himself as Alex Wolf to the rest of the crew, everybody he worked with for all these, for all this time until the very last day. <laughs> yeah. Like, so when the dude is super emotional, it's because he thinks he's in that emotional field, which I think in a way is the only way you could get this kind of portrayal from this character, but also like... I don't know. Like, there's... You just have to be a broken person yeah. throughout all of that if you're method acting, right? More or less, yeah. I don't even know, man. That's It's, it's definitely talent for sure. Yeah, it's insane. So, <clears throat> here we go. The family is sitting around the table, and we hear the clinking and clinking of silverware on the plates as the family eats in silence. Peter crunches on something and tells his dad how good it is. Annie laughs in an annoyed manner. Peter asks... Are you okay, Mom? What? Is there something on your mind? Is there something on your mind? Just seems like there might be something you'd want to say. Peter. Like what? I mean, why would I want to say something? So I can watch you sneer at me? Sneer at you? I don't ever sneer at you. Oh, sweetie, you don't have to. You get your point across. Okay, so fine. Then say what you want to say, then. Peter. I don't... Want to say anything? I've tried saying things. Okay, so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just fucking say it. Ugh. Don't you sit there and swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I'm your mother. Do you understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you, and all I get back is that fucking face on your face. While this is happening, Steve is doing his best not to yell or cry. But for the time being, he remains stable, although stable with a quivering jaw. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead and I know you miss her and I know it was an accident and I know you're in pain and I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. But your sister is dead. She's gone forever. And what a waste. If it could have just maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said I'm sorry or faced up to what happened, maybe then we could do something with this. But you don't take responsibility for anything. At this point, Annie is standing up, hovering over the table like a malevolent witch. <laughs> Peter's eyes are filling with tears and about to burst at the seams with sadness. So now I can't accept, and I can't forgive, because because nobody admits anything that they've done! <laughs> Nailed it. Annie sits back down and keeps poking away at her food, while Peter just stares at her in shock. What about you, Mama? She, she didn't want to go to the party. So why was she there? Annie looks up with the face of hate and disgust, that is usually only reserved for the moodiest of teenage <laughs> girls. All right, we're stopping this right now. That is it. I said stop right now. Fine. 
Annie gets up from the table, openly wearing her attitude on her sleeve, and before walking away, utters one last. Fine. Steve looks as if he isn't quite sure what to do, and in a very half-hearted gesture, places his hand on Peter's arm to comfort him. He goes to take a bite of his food and resigns into the hands-on-head position, a very common position reserved for the most stressed out of dads. So that speech, fucking amazing. Yeah. Because that speech, there's a few things. So uh, talking about um, Peter's sort of road to kind of getting past this, you see more of him and the fact that he's trying to appreciate this meal. Like he's he's trying to move on and she has not fucking moved on. She's in her home office working on miniatures of the event. So she puts that shit back onto him, right? But the whole speech isn't really about her. It's just exactly what you had said. I think, was it Sam who said on the, the first speech about she's just kind of processing all of it. That So she's just spewing this fucking like word salad. Yeah. yeah. She's like, it's not really a word salad. It's all very cohesive, but it's one of those things that's really hard to un- unpack because it's, for instance, that like, I'm not trying to, I, I'm, I wish I could shield you is actually her saying, no, you little shit. You, <laughs> you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay exactly where you are fucking emotionally. Right. But then it's also her projecting how she feels because she's not willing, because like she's a mother she can't hate her son. Right. So she has to project that shit onto him, right? And that's just was an incredible fucking dialogue. Again, super complex, you know what I mean? Yeah, and like I really liked it. And I like how she says, I wish I could shield you from what you've done. Yeah. Not that I wish I, I could shield yeah. you from the awful things in the world, but the thing you did and she's just not letting him escape from the thing. From mm-hmm. from killing his and, sister. And you can just kind of See the look on his face at this point. It's just... Just dead. Like, he knows what he's done. He's pretty much probably thought about this constantly since the moment it happened. Right. Um, like, this is, this, is a, this is a kid who can move on from this. You can begin that process of healing. And she's the biggest obstacle because she won't let that happen. Which is one reason why he decided to say, like, just just say it already. Just say what's on your mind kind of thing. Because it's, I feel like that might have been part of his healing process in a way of, like, he wanted to hear her side of it. Yeah, yeah. because, um, I mean, they hadn't really talked about any of it. Any of them have. like None of it, yeah. Um, it's not something they had talked about that we saw, which, you know... Yeah, and he did something that might seem fucked up, but I would argue that if you're trying to get past something like that, it's the only thing you can do, and is that to put that shit back on her for trying to put it on him. Like, what else can you do if you're trying to move past that, right? It's like, no, I'm not going to carry the weight of this whole thing. And yeah, that, you're going to carry some of this for Yeah, me. I was going to say, and that's what I felt part of that was too. Is he was uh, that's why he pushed it back onto her towards the end of it too, is because he didn't want to bear the whole weight of what happened on just him. So like that, that might've been one way that he was trying to deal with it himself was to push it onto her. Like she didn't even want to go to that party, but mom made me take her kind of mentality. It's, it's fucking, it's a great scene. It is. It's really good. You know, it is powerful to say the least. Yeah. So cuts to the next day. And Annie is staring at a miniature of a preschool. She sees a sticky note on a shelf in front of her that says, keep working. And she kind of sighs, and then it cuts to her walking out of an arts and crafts store. And lo and behold, who is there but Joan? 
and Joan starts telling her like she's doing great and like everything's great and I met the spiritual medium and she's like oh that's weird she's like no no I know what you're thinking but I went to the seance and after the seance everything was amazing there were all these amazing scientists there and they were all skeptics and they all came completely changed and after the seance the medium came over to my apartment and you're not ever gonna believe this I swear to god you're not gonna believe this Annie but she came and she conjured my grandson and Joan's like what are you doing right now and she's like, uh, I don't know, I'm just kind of getting arson. She's like, no, no, you have to come over to my house right now, Annie. You have to come over. You, I have to prove it to you. And so, cut to Joan lighting a candle, and the seance begins. The the scene, like her face though, when um, the mom's face when Joan told her about the about the uh, medium, because like that kind of laugh, it's like. That's you. Could you imagine how painful it would be? You're trying to process that, and then someone's trying to sell that shit to you. It's like that. That scene made me cringe because I could totally see that shit happen. You know, it, honestly, it does happen quite a bit. Like, uh, there's a lot of people whenever they lose a child or they lose a loved one, they end up going to psychic mediums, and then mediums will tell them like, uh, either that or like the someone's missing, and they'll go to them, and sometimes medium will say like, oh, that person's dead, or oh, that person's still alive, or oh, like this happened and that happened. It's like a way to help them move through the grieving process of someone like, oh, I could speak to ghosts, and this is your daughter, kind of thing. And like, yeah, it's but not not even they, a, a fan, uh, someone who's willing to do it, but someone who's not, who's like you're you're putting that on them, and they're like, look, I'm just I'm trying to. You know, this is yeah. It's even worse when we put it on to someone who's not trying to deal with that, but it's that is definitely a thing that does happen, and I think that's kind of how they're playing out that scene of why Annie was so skeptical about everything that happens because that is a very common practice for uh, for mediums is to say like are like oh I could talk to your dead child for you and like they oh take it, they take advantage of people's grief right and that that's very much what the scene felt like is someone trying to take advantage of someone else's grief oh yeah it's. Real shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the seance has started. The candle is lit. And Joan's like, okay, put your hand on this glass. I'll put my hand on there. Don't put any pressure, though. So the seance has begun. And she's like, hey, uh, Louie, if you're out there at all, just move the glass right if it's yes. Move it left if it's no. And she like starts asking questions like, "Hey, are you there?" Or like, "Are you okay?" And he moves it right. Like, "Is everything cool?" Moves it right. And then she puts down this chalkboard. And at this point, Annie is freaking out. She like gets up. She looks under the table to make sure there's nothing there. Like making all of this happen. And Annie sits back down. And Joan puts this um, chalkboard on the table and puts a piece of chalk. She's like, "Write a message for me, please." And then the chalk writes out, I love you, Grandma, on it. And fun fact! I don't have this written down, but I remember it. Um, apparently, the special this is a practical effect, and the special effects department had a shitty, shitty time getting this to work because they had to hollow out a piece of chalk, um, refill the chalk in with, they put a little piece of magnet in there, and refill it in to make it a full piece of chalk that wrote, and then they put another magnet on the other side. And they had like a trace thing out there so they know what they were supposed to be tracing. But they couldn't move too quickly or else it wouldn't write. But they couldn't move too slowly or else the chalk would break. And so they had a super shitty time making this effect work. 
because the director's like, it has to be practical. It has to be practical. Literally. Which he honest, said everything, anything that could possibly be practical has to be practical. So if it's something that could be practical in the movie, then it is a practical effect. Which does kind of make sense. Like uh, practical effects throughout time stick with people compared to like early CGI. Because like for how amazing we think CGI looks now, in 20 years from now, it's going to look like crap. Yeah. I mean, even bad practical effects look better than some good CGI. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're going through the seance, and this is happening. And after the chalk thing, Annie's like, nope, nope, got to go, because she feels some breath on her air, and, like, something wafts her hair out of her face. And she's like, I got to get out of here. I got to leave. And Joan's like, no, no, I completely understand. But before you go, here, take this. This is what the medium gave me. It's all the instructions. But remember, when you do the thing, you have to have all your family in the place, and they all have to be working together to get it done. Like, just light the candle, say this, and it'll work fine for you. She's like, here, take the instructions and go. She's like, okay, goodbye. Also, she's not feeling it, like, at all. No. Just not even from a paranormal standpoint, but from what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like emotionally, that grief is she has just literally... She's She's been adjusting to it where it is in her life, and now it's, like, shifting. You know what I mean? So there's this really strong response to this paradigm shift yeah yeah it, it's you know? very much a sense of she was starting to deal with it like i feel like after she yelled at her son and had that amazing speech speech that she had but like you know basically just like tore him a new asshole in a sense over what happened she maybe was starting to uh you know deal with the grief of what was happening and so it's like she was starting to heal from it and then this completely just set her all the way back Exactly. Yeah. Annie is driving home and she is kind of panicking and freaking out. And the music is building and building, of course, because that's what the music is constantly doing in this movie. And she's starting to freak out and be sad and just panicky. And then she hears a. And the music cuts off right when you hear that. Yeah. And she like, what the fuck was that? That was my daughter's not in this car. There's nothing back here. What the fuck was that? Which just is showing her more and more that like maybe there's something to all this shit. Which also, they're using the same car, aren't they? That yeah, that she died in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that huh. would be a pain to clean up. I think. Fuck. Yeah, how would you even <laughs> clean that? Because like, one thing I do know is that like murder scenes, like if somebody's murdered in your house, like the police don't clean that for you. Yeah. They take the body, they take the crime stuff away, and you're left with whatever messes there. Which that shit's so crazy. Yeah, I was gonna say, in some cases, like there are people who specialize in cleanups like that. Weirdly enough, yeah. And uh, I'm guessing with something like that, they probably had to just replace the back seats. Probably, I would imagine so. Yeah. I would just like replace the car. I would just I'm, sell yeah. the car. I would like <laughs> yeah. wash it out with a hose and be like, "Yeah, no, we have uh, never had any problems with it. It's all cool. There's definitely not a ghost in here." Well, I couldn't, man. I, I no, I that. could not. Yeah, I, I think I in a not. lot of cases, people would either a sell that car or just like completely fucking like just burn it. <laughs> I would even if I had to drive it down a dirt road, and just walk away. That's what I would do. I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah, look at honestly, that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just too much. So cuts to later that night, and Annie is restless, and she starts to notice these bugs on her pillow. And she looks to the window and notices that there is a giant line of ants leading from the window out of the room and into Peter's room. So she follows the line of ants and sees them crawling all onto Peter's bed and it goes up to his face and you see that his face is literally covered in ants his mouth is open and his mouth is also filled with ants 
which is exactly what Charlie looked like whenever she was beheaded. Which causes Annie to start freaking out whenever she sees this. Like, she just has this look of absolute horror on her face. Yeah, she's breathing heavily. And then Peter asks her, like, what are you doing? And she's like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what am I doing here? What's going on? He's like, you were sleepwalking. And then... And he's like, is Charlie here? He's like, no, no, why would Charlie be here? And Peter asks, like, why do I scare you? And he says, like, out of nowhere, it just yeah, it jumps just... out of her mouth. She says, I never wanted to be your oh. mother. And then and she grabs her mouth because it just jumped out. She never meant to say it. It just leaped out. And Peter asks, like, why? And Annie says, because she was scared and she didn't feel like she could be a mother. She didn't feel like she was mother material, basically. And she tells Peter, like, I tried having a miscarriage. She's like, what? Like, you tried to kill me. He's like, no, I, I tried everything in the book. She's like, how? She's like, well, I don't know. I did everything they told me not to do. But it didn't work, and I still had you. And I'm happy it didn't work. I'm glad it didn't work. I'm glad that I have you here. He's like, why do you want to kill me? And she says, like, I never wanted to kill you. I don't, I love you. Why would I want to kill you? And, like, they're going back and forth, going back and forth, arguing about this. And while they're doing that, they're getting more and more wet, and they're covered with. I'm guessing it's paint thinner. Yes. Paint thinner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a flame starts up, and you hear, like, the match light and then the entire frame just goes up in flames and Annie wakes up so it was all a nightmare which is one of the most convincing nightmare scenes I've seen in a long time because it feels exactly like the rest of the movie it just did, like something maybe feels a little off yeah I was gonna say like the way that they did it was very much an inception scene like they kind of trick you trick you with the first dream and then to find out that this, it's like a dream with inside of a dream that happened yeah and it just shows how guilty Annie is about the Peter thing still. And that maybe it happened and they didn't talk about it. Like they don't talk about anything, like she said in the dinner scene. It also kind of shows you where she's at mentally because she – I mean that's like a conversation with her subconscious. Those are things she can't admit to herself. I mean it shows if that's a dream she's having when she holds her mouth, things she's probably never admitted to herself. Right. 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 And um, I feel like that really shows in her character because she, she's a, a sympathetic character. You can see where she's coming from, but she's super toxic, and she she doesn't know where shit's coming from. So that's why her fucking speeches are so convoluted between how she feels about things that happened, what's happening, and then how she feels mm -hmm. just in general, you know. And I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, it is. It is cool. Um, so Annie wakes up and she goes into her bathroom and you hear muttering and you see a little light from under the crack in the door and it's pretty clear what she's doing at this point so it cuts over and she goes and like wakes peter up and she's right in his face and which yeah like during the scene like she's very close to his face while she's doing this like, scene right up in his face oh did we um did we say during the seance scene that um what's her name Joan. Joan, Joan gave her a candle and a piece of paper with oh, yeah, words yeah, yeah, that yeah. yeah, and then from Joan a different did, language that you yeah, and Joan understand. or she did ask Joan's like I I can't read this I don't even know what it says like oh it doesn't matter you just have to read it which is another one of those subtle things because um yeah we'll get to that <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but yeah so she's reading that letter that she 
the the piece of paper that Joan gave her, lighting the candle that Joan gave her as well. Then it goes and she's waking Peter up. They're super close. She's like, "Wake up! We're gonna try something." He's like, "What are we gonna try? Just wake up! Come down to the, come down to the living room. We're gonna try it out." He's like, "Okay." And then she goes and does the same thing with Steve. Like, "Wake up! We're gonna try something." And he's more hesitant than Peter. Um, but still, he goes along with it because anyway. Because he thinks his wife is losing his mind. <laughs> yeah. And so they all go and they meet in the living room, and Annie just basically forces them to go along with it. Like, she tries to get them to go to the table and sit down like they were at Joan's house and put their hand on the cup, but nobody's doing it. She's like, fine, I'll bring it over to you. And she drags the table to them, and she like forces, holds their hand, and she just starts doing it, basically, and starts reading everything off. And the, and the father is like... What are the, what are even these words? <laughs> yeah, what are even these words? I think that's his exact line. <laughs> that is, that is. <laughs> um, and so they're going along, and they're starting to go along with it, and Steve's like, look at Peter, he's scared, don't make him do this. And it's a really good comedy moment. Like, Annie looks over to Peter, and she starts explaining to it. She's like, okay, I'll do it. So Annie starts to perform these same seance, basically, that they did in Joan's house, and Peter's like, what is that? Steve's like, I have no idea. Peter's like, you don't feel that? The air flexing around us? And once he says that, the glass slides across the kitchen table to give a sign that Charlie is there, is what they've been asking for. This really excites Annie. It really does. And she's like, oh my god, it's amazing. Can you see this? She's like, okay, earlier I was going into this journal here, and I was telling Charlie to like go and write things down. And, she, and she's like, pulls out this journal, and she puts it on the table, and they're trying to go along with it. And she's like, okay, just write a sign. Let us know you're there, Charlie. And it's just sitting there for a second, and she's like, fuck this, we're not doing this, and he closes the journal down. And she's like, no, no, don't, you can't close that journal down. And then the glass flies across the room, breaks, and that's when Peter starts to get really freaked out. Yeah, he starts having a panic attack, I think, at well, this point. Yeah. The glass flies across the room, but also the candle... Like, a flame shoots, like, yeah. four feet out of it. The and candle then it, turns into a flamethrower, basically. Yeah, basically. And then just goes back to being lit after that. And that's whenever Peter, like, starts having a panic attack. Yeah. And then you see a light shimmer just kind of into the room. And Annie changes immediately. She is a completely different face. And she starts to talk, but it's not her voice exactly. It's like a child's voice. It's almost a child's voice and almost an adult's voice, and they're mixed together. Well, it's like an adult is trying voice, to do though. a child's voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. It is her voice, but it's also... Um, it's also Charlie's voice. Charlie's voice. And the I think the reason they did that is so to be like, is it? Is it not? You know, sort of that that in between reality and the unreal. Like, yeah. like if you were there, you're like, yo, I, I swear to God, I, I heard Charlie... But at the same time, no, 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 no. That was that was her. That was her. Yeah, it did kind of jump back you know and forth I mean? between them. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, yeah, it, it, was yeah, it almost felt like the director had both, or both the actor that played Annie and the actor, our actor that played Charlie, both say those lines, and then he just like had the editors like weave in between both of them saying this. I yeah. didn't really notice that. I just thought it was her doing that voice. <laughs> no, it it does sound it, like it was messed with. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Like it, it kind of it, it's very subtle, but it weaves in between both of them. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's parts where it's distinctly Charlie, and then it, it almost as soon as you can tell it's Charlie, it's her again, and so it's kind of like you you ask yourself like, no, that was that was her. Yeah, it's you really know, cool. that, that was that wasn't Charlie. That was that was them. Yeah, and then 
Peter starts screaming at this point for it to stop. He's like, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop! And Steve tries shaking her out of it, and it doesn't work, so he runs away, comes back with a pitcher full of water, and just throws it on Annie. <laughs> and the second he does that, she, like, wakes up from whatever thing that she was in, possession or trance She's or whatever. She's like, what? What are yeah. you guys doing? What's happening? Why is Peter <laughs> sad? What happened? <laughs> at this point, Peter starts sobbing. <laughs> yeah, he is So, dumb. the the thing with her sort of if we if we looked at it in theory like a possession some interesting things to note is we don't necessarily know what was on that paper to say if that um, was why she was able to do it, it or was not a summoning spell i believe yeah so that's the thing like it's summoned entity. but it didn't necessarily give give right to possession right that 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 there has to be a few other things know. for that right but the thing that i was going to say is what probably made it so effective for her to 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 be sort of an agent was she was already assuming um the life of charlie her entire workspace became consumed with the event the trauma and she was sleeping in charlie's and charlie's um uh treehouse which is kind of like her being open to just wanting her daughter back so much that she would open herself in that way yeah which i feel like is important stuff yeah yeah um so then it cuts over to the next day, and Peter's in class, and again, he's just not able to concentrate, and he sees this shimmer of light, and it leads him to look over to a glass case that's next to him, and he sees his own reflection, but it's not quite him. It is his reflection, but it's his reflection smiling back at him, and he does not smile in this movie, so he's frowning in this, so it's very strange to see his own reflection smiling back it's at like him. It's like a sinister smile. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, knowing, I'm gonna fuck you up. And coming to get you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> cuts over to Annie, and she gets a call from Steve saying Peter is crying at school, saying he's being haunted by a vengeful spirit. And he's like, I can't do this anymore with you, Annie. Like, I have to do what's best for my son. She's like, Your son? He hangs up. She's like, Oh, no. And she calls I call him. this motherfucker. Yeah, and she calls him back. She's like, I wanted to let you know that he is not just your son, he is my son, and I completely get that we are doing what's best for our son, and don't you ever hang up on me. And then she hangs up on him. But hey, this is, uh, at, it was at this point that uh, she starts working on her miniature again, mm-hmm. and she hears the phone ring, but she decides she's not going to answer it this time. And she's holding onto this chair for this miniature, and she's just pushing on it in anger. And, and it's... Um... She doesn't pick up the phone, but she hears the answering machine and it's work, I guess. Yeah, it's the uh, gallery. Yeah, basically saying, we know you're going through a tough time, but if you need, you know, more time, let us know. Yeah, yeah just call if us back. Can, yeah, if you can get, it to, get us these projects, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, it's basically like, if you need more time, we completely understand. That's cool. But... Uh, if you could get it to us and talk to us about any of this... Uh, that would be cool, too. Like, that would be better. I just kind of need to know. Yeah, and so, like, that kind of is what edges her on to be so angry, and she breaks the chair, and that leads her to start demolishing all of her miniatures that she's been working on for this gallery. Interesting enough, I think the one she was working on at that time was the funeral procession. It was, yeah. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. It was just, like, a room yeah. full of chairs, so I didn't... And then there was, like, a square at the center at the end. I think that was, like, the coffin. So, Steve and Peter get home, and Steve asked what the smell is. 
because there's a smell in the house at this point, but they don't concentrate on it quite that much yet. And then Steve walks up to go see what Annie is up to, and he notices um, everything is broken. And he's like, what happened? She's like, I just I got annoyed. I couldn't stand looking at it anymore. And he looks at one specific model, and it's Peter's bedroom with a model of Peter in the bedroom, but the model is beheaded. So that is pretty unsettling for Steve, and he decides that he's going to go and sleep on the couch from now on. Goes down the couch, sets up his bed, takes a pill, and he's like, nope. Actually, I think he takes a couple of pills. Yeah. And then he, like, swallows <laughs> well, yeah, it, was- takes a step, and then takes another pill. Probably sleeping pills, I think, safe to say, with what happens. Probably. <laughs> yeah. So Annie starts investigating Charlie's room, and the journal is just laying there on the bed, and it's getting flipped through actively and drawn through actively, but there's nobody there. It's just happening. Um, Peter has a vision of his sister in his room that night because he is also restlessly sleeping. He just looks around, and he sees his sister, and she goes, the... And the head starts to fall off, and when it's about to hit the floor, it's just a ball, and it starts rolling towards his bed. And then he's freaking out. He goes to lay down, and hands come from behind his bed and grab him and just start pulling at his head and pulling and pulling and pulling, and he's screaming and screaming, and they're pulling and pulling. And cuts over, so we see Steve is still asleep peacefully at his couch. Cuts back, and Annie is now just in the middle of the room. And Peter's like, what are you doing? And she's like, where am I? What's going on? He's like, you tried pulling my head off. He's like, no, I didn't. You're crazy. That didn't happen. She's like, yeah, it did. You just you were here behind my bed trying to pull my head off. She's like, no, no, no. Just, just trust me, Peter. I know everything that's going on. I'm the only one that can fix it. Don't tell your dad about this. <laughs> Listen here, you little yeah, shit. Yeah, almost. No one's going to find out about this. <laughs> And so we see the journal getting flipped through again, and we see it's Steve's face. But it's all set and has X's all over it. And it's just more and more and more pictures of that in the journal. Oh, it was Steve's face? Yeah, I think so. I, I thought it was Peter's. I thought it was Peter's. Oh, maybe it's Peter's then. I think yeah, you might. You guys are probably right. So Annie sees this in the journal, and she goes and she tries to burn it down in the fireplace. But once she does that, the second that the journal catches fire, her arm starts to catch fire as well takes her a second to notice it but she finally does when she does she pulls the journal out uh pads it out so it's no longer on fire and when that happens she is no longer on fire as well so there is a clear link between her and this journal you know i never really figured out the the logic behind that i understand like the concept like if you try to destroy this you'll be just like you're you're kind of bound to this but there the thing that happens later i still don't fucking understand the, the thing that happens later is like a defense mechanism spell put on the book so in case somebody tries to uh fuck with the whole situation um and i think so from happening yeah and uh with things you learn later on like it kind of adds like yeah but i never understood why the other person why it happened to the other person instead of her do you know what i'm talking about i mean i i think i know why but so I guess we'll get there. So it goes over and Annie watches Peter leave for the day. And then she goes to try and visit Joan. But when she gets to Joan's apartment, she's not answering her phone. But we do get a shot of Joan's apartment from the inside. And there is an altar on her kitchen table when it has Peter's face in the middle of it. Same triangle, actually, that we saw in the grandma's room from earlier in the movie. And that and was also, a pentagram. And also the sigil. Let me see again. 
Yeah, yeah. The sigil that's been out throughout the whole movie. We see that as well as all throughout the table, all of the art projects that Charlie had been working on through the movie that we saw on her art craft table. So then goes at- to Peter eating lunch at school and he's getting told to get out of his body from Joan from across the highway. And she's just yelling at him like, get out. You don't belong there. Get out of there. <laughs> she does start yelling. I ex- a very important word. I expel yeah, you. I was going to say that. You. Yeah. That's sort of like a, like a banishment. Yeah. I think. So Annie goes through her mom's stuff and we start to really find out what's going on here. Because she starts going through it all, and we start to see the connection between the gram, uh, between Annie's mom and Joan, and we see all these meetings, and that they're worshiping all these things and doing all these rituals, and then we see a picture of Annie's family, and they're all praying to it. Not only that, but we see entries about a demon called Paimon, and it says that he requires, or not that he requires, but he lusts after a male vessel. So it goes to Peter at school again, and he's following the shimmer around. And he it leads him down a hallway, and at the end of the hallway, through a door, you see somebody in the window. And it's just smiling at him, and waves at him. It's creepy. It is very creepy. I also saw this, like, uh, earlier on in the movie, that I kind of thought this was the same person that waved at Charlie early on in the movie. I think it is. Yeah. That's possible. I felt like it was the same person. I can't really prove that right now, but it felt like it was the same person that just like waved at her whenever she was cutting the head off of that bird. I could see it. After that, Steve gets an email about Annie's mom's body missing, and they show him all the pictures that call that he got earlier in the movie. Um, we see the pictures that the body's just missing. It's gone. It's just not in the casket anymore. And there's just the pictures of a dug up grave with an empty casket. Yeah. And so Annie goes around investigating the house more, and she goes up into the attic, and flies come buzzing out of it the second that she pulls the attic door down. And the reason for that is because up there she finds her mom's beheaded corpse and the symbol from the necklace that we've been seeing through the whole thing. In class later, Peter keeps hearing the sound that his sister would make, and before you know it, He just gets possessed or taken over in some way, somehow. And his arm goes, like, reaching up, and the teacher's like, "Uh, yeah, Peter, do you have anything to say? And people are just staring at him, and his mouth is filling with blood, and his eyes are becoming bloodshot, and then he just slams his own face down the desk. Everyone's like, Peter, what the fuck are you doing? And he does it again, and the second time that his head slams against the desk, he immediately turns back into Peter and starts screaming and screaming, and blood is everywhere. I was going to say, when I first saw that scene, the first thought that came to mind is like, it almost like he lifted his hand up like he was pulling a rope around his own neck is yeah, what it looked like. Yeah, because his eyelashes were also, um, well, his lip and his eyelashes were also, um, it looked like something was against it, I guess. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it looked like he was choking himself almost. Yeah. Huh. I didn't notice that, I guess. Yeah, I didn't notice That's that. That's cool. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes from that to him smashing his face against the desk and screaming with his mouth just full of blood. And then it cuts to a phone call at their home, and it's the school that Peter goes to. But nobody's answering the phone. It cuts to Annie outside, and she's under the treehouse while it's raining, investigating the treehouse, because clearly she's on to something. 
cuts over to Steve at his office. He gets the call about what happened to Peter. He immediately goes and picks Peter up from school and he drives home. And we learn that Peter broke his nose on the desk from smashing his face into it. Which you have to smash your face into something pretty fucking hard to break your nose. Oh, yeah. Steve is driving home and he almost runs a red light and stops and then just fucking breaks down crying. Like, this is Steve's breaking point, finally. Yeah. He just can't do any of it anymore. He is completely done. That's when they finally get home, and they're met outside by Annie, and she's like, what the fuck happened to my son? What's going on? Everything's gonna be okay. And Steve's like, just stop talking for a fucking second. Just, can you grab Peter's legs? Grab his legs, please. And they grab his leg, they grab him, take him up to his bed, lay him down in bed. He's clearly on a bunch of painkillers, obviously, because... There's no way that you'd be able to just be awake after that, I assume. <laughs> I think part of it is uh, he was probably hysterical, so they gave him, like, here, take this. It'll calm you down. That's probably likely, too. And so Annie starts telling Steve, like, she thinks her mom is upstairs. He's like, what do you mean? Like, I, I think it's her upstairs. Like, she doesn't have a head or, like, a face or anything so I can see it, but it looks like her body and it's bloated and descended, but it's her. And she's like, I need you to go up and look. Yeah. Like, um... Like, you're not going to believe me if I just tell you, so you have yeah, to see it yourself. Yeah, she needs, she needs somebody to see it, you know, to see maybe she thinks she's going crazy or something. Yeah. And he thinks she's definitely going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so he's like, oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's like, my mom's up there. He's like, yeah, of course your mom is up there. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes up there, and when he starts going up there, Annie runs downstairs and starts putting newspaper in the fireplace and then runs back upstairs just as steve is getting down from the attic he's like what the fuck is that yeah which <laughs> like, i feel that's, is- my, that's my mom i don't know what's going on he's like is this what you've been doing is this what you've been doing when you've been lying about going to the movies all this time you've been digging up your fucking mom's body yeah he's he, like, no that's not what this is about he does straight up say like you desecrated the grave yeah she starts basically explaining everything that we've learned about paymon about how he needs a being to be inside of and like Starts explaining that her mom is behind this and, like, her and Joan have a connection. She doesn't really know what the connection is, but there's something weird going on. She's like, I let this thing into our house and I don't I don't know how I did it. I don't know why I did it. I just did it. And I'm the only one that can fix this, though. I, I'm, I'm the one that can fix this. I need to, I need you to do this for me, Steve. And he's like, yeah, just, just, I don't know what's going on. And she's slowly, slowly dragging him downstairs with the journal. And she's like, there was writing in this journal, and it's just writing all in itself, and it's full now. And I, I tried to burn it earlier, and when I did, I caught it on fire, so I had to put it out, and I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't put it out. You have to put it out. She finally gets him downstairs. She starts explaining, like, I love you so, so much. You're the love of my life, and I love Peter so much, but you have to do this for me, Steve. You have to throw this book in the fire. Which I feel like with that one, what it was, like, I feel like with her saying you have to throw this into the fire is her saying, if I throw this into the fire, I'm effectively killing myself by burning myself. I can't do it. I need someone else to do it for me kind of thing. So effectively she's asking him to assist her in suicide is what she feels like at least. So this is, yeah, this is her saying her last goodbyes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And so, or I think because she thought she's connected to it, that it wouldn't have any effect on him if he, did it oh yeah yeah and so steve is just not buying any of this he takes the book for a second he's like no i'm not doing this i can't put up with your bullshit anymore i'm putting an end to this she's like no you can't do that she grabs the book out of his hand throws it into the fire and the second it hits the fire steve bursts into flames 
And I just don't fucking understand it. I can't make sense of that part. Um, I don't know. Magic? (laughs) So, I was going to say he was a trickster god, but it actually says he's the god of mischief. So, it's... Oh, shit. So, so yeah, with him being the god of mischief and being a trickster like that, he tricked her into thinking, like, maybe, like, this will happen... Like, something bad will happen to you if you throw it into the fire. But it's basically, like, his way of... uh, Pun- like you know punishing someone but he makes her think that she's going to get punished if it throws and gets her onto the fire but he ends up throwing it back on her by killing her husband instead so it was him being mischievous yeah so maybe there is no rules to the journal he's just controlling it all yeah or maybe like the rule is hey yeah if this book burns somebody's got to burn never so, said it had to be <laughs> so here's the thing uh kind of thing you ha- you'd probably have to pause the movie to read it but i just like did pull up the uh screenshot of it it says, King Paimon, god of mischief. When successfully invoked, King Paimon will possess the most vulnerable host. Only when the r- ritual is complete will King Paimon be uh, locked into his ordeal host. Once locked in, the new ritual is required to unlock the, uh, unlock the possession. So, that was actually highlighted in the book. Yeah. But, uh, basically saying, like, this is very important. So, all of this was, like, leading up to what is going to be the ending of the movie. Yeah. So, uh... As Steve is on fire, a look of horror is just thrown on her face and across all of it. And there are tears rolling down her face, snot rolling down her eyes, drool coming down her mouth. And instantly, you see the light, that same shimmer that we've been seeing throughout the whole movie, go across her face. And she is no longer herself anymore. She has been taken over. Um, By Paymon? Do you think it's Paymon that's taken? I think at this point it has to be Paymon taking her over. Well, because yeah. that has to be the only entity that so was like summoned Charlie into that house. Do this. Well, well, it is Charlie, yeah, though. Charlie, Charlie is pain. Before we go on with the rest of this, I did miss a fun fact Robbie pointed out. Um, the scene where, in the dream sequence, where they're covered in the what is supposedly paint thinner, um, that's actually Tony Collette's favorite scene, because while they were talking throughout the scene, it, they just kept shooting the scene like normal, and people would come over with buckets of water and throw water on them and then get out of the scene before it was their line. So they were just constantly having buckets and buckets of water thrown on them throughout the scene. <laughs> so, yeah, that's her favorite scene because she just thought it was super fun. Apparently she likes so, being anyway, soaked in water. Yeah. I think with that ritual or that, that thing she said, I think it only gave the entity uh, permission to possess the house space and to, like, haunt them. I don't think it necessarily gave it permission like it's a ritual, so they have to do things. So obviously, it's a part. Like it's it's that that's that's the I point. I think it's a portion of but it. But I feel all. like a, it's a portion. So yeah, but I feel like a big thing for this is that the the victims have to be broken down. Yeah, they do. So you know what I mean, what it was saying with like that little bit that I uh, read off is whenever she gave, uh, whenever Joanne gave Annie that paper, saying like, "Oh yeah, this will bring Charlie uh, a seance to Charlie, so that way you can speak to her." They invoked Paymon at that point in time, and with Char- with uh, Annie being the most vulnerable one out of everyone else in the family, with the grieving of her dead daughter, he was messing with he, he was messing with her the most because of, uh, of her grief, because she was the most vulnerable out of this. So she was the one to invoke everything else to this possession that he was trying to get to. Yeah, but I feel like a, another way to to say that though, and it's really important, is is willingness. You know what I mean? Because I feel like Annie was the most willing for to be to be possessed because she wanted Charlie up to a point. I would so say, bad, yeah. you know, 
Um, and I feel like the big thing with Peter is there had to be convincing that he could even be possessed. Because, for instance, when that thing happened in the class, it was only momentary. And the questions raised, well, if you can if you can do that, why not just assume control now? But I just it may not be there yet. Like you, you have to break down his. Well, yeah, I mean, it's saying that he happens. Afterwards. Yeah, he takes control of the most vulnerable host, which he wants the male of the family. And he's not the most vulnerable one right now. Peter and he specifically. Is. Yeah. Yeah. He wants Peter specifically. Yeah, so he But he can't have him yet because he's not the most vulnerable one. And he is, so he's going towards Annie right now, and he's using her to make Peter more more vulnerable. No, but I just you know, I just want to look at it sort of like like what that meant, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to to be vulnerable. And I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Cut to an external shot of the house. The sun is out and all is bright. Fast cut to the same exact shot except the sun has gone to hide away. The moon is out and bright, except something is odd about the shot. There are now a couple of dozen naked old people surrounding the house just standing there. I really like the way you worded that, but something's a bit odd. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of old naked people sitting outside the house. That's huh. a bit odd. Odd. <laughs> That's odd. <laughs> Must be a moment. <laughs> Cuts to Peter in his bed, waking up. He sees the light from the treehouse outside and calls out to his parents. No reply. He gets slowly. He slowly gets up, makes his way out of the bed. He looks out of the window towards the treehouse again, and as he does, a light switches on outside. Peter looks around some more, and behind him, we see a white figure behind him on the wall. I want to point out that throughout the, the whole scene where he's in the bed and waking up, you can see her behind. Hurriedly make its way across the room. Peter stands up, knowing something is amiss. He shuffles out of his bedroom, and we hear flies buzzing around. He walks down the hall and calls out once more for his parents. When he does, we hear thudding and thumping coming from somewhere else in the house. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Peter yells out, continuing to investigate various rooms. He notices his grandmother's door is open. He slams it shut and makes his way downstairs, calling out for his mom once more. When he gets to the living room, he lets his eyes scour across the room. He sees furniture is thrown about, rugs rolled up and tossed aside, and eventually his eyes land upon the crispy corpse that he may have once been able to call his father. He walks over to the burnt husk and begins to cry. In the background, we again see the white figure seemingly hovering over Peter, keeping a watchful eye. As the camera releases its focus from Peter and into the background, we get a clearer picture, seeing that it's none other than Annie. She is grasping onto the ceiling and wall like some unworldly being. Peter looks behind him, and we see a naked man in the front closet, staring and smiling as the music builds to a thump. Peter looks to the corner where he saw his mother hanging from earlier, but she's no longer there. Instead, she is now hiding in the shadows and delivers a fucking amazing jump scare. Can we appreciate the awkwardness between himself and the naked yeah. guy? <laughs> Which... Which is, I believe, the smiling naked yeah, the, guy. Yeah, I was going to say the smiling yes. guy at the funeral is the same naked smiling guy... In the closet now, which it doesn't make it awkward, but it's just kind of one of those like, what the fuck is happening kind of (laughs) moments. Annie begins to make chase. She chases Peter upstairs. In a panic, he runs into the attic, thinking he can hide himself in there. He pulls the stairs up and flies buzz around his face. We hear constant banging on the attic door and Peter begs for his mommy. Mommy, please stop. 
Behind Peter, we do also see figures looming behind him. It quickly cuts to Annie, holding on to the attic door. Somehow, and in rapid succession, she's banging her head against the door. The banging stops, and Peter finally notices all the flies. He turns around to see where they're coming from, and he finds the outline of a body made out of dust surrounded by candles, with a picture of him in the middle of it, with his eyes gouged out. By the way, if you haven't seen this movie, the part where she's banging her head on the door is very scarring. It really, really is. Which is not as scarring as the next scene. (laughs) No, this is true, but I've seen a lot of heads banging on walls in movies, and I have to say, or doors, and I have to say, they didn't have the effect that this one does. It is a horrifying thing to see. For one, she's cling to the ceiling and she's hitting it at like a supernatural speed like a person's head does not like about yeah like it's but it's 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 not even that it's i feel like it's the whole movie like that scene would not be possible to have that effect without everything else building towards that point because it's also the character yeah. <laughs> right that they've built from that point shock rolls across his face and drool out of his mouth he turns away telling himself it's okay. It's a dream. You just gotta wake up. Come on. Peter begins to slap himself. Come on. Wake up. We start to hear a horrific sound, almost like the sound of a rock being cut in half while encased in mud. Peter slowly looks upward, and we see Annie floating in midair, a very thin wire in her hands, as well as being wrapped around her neck. She's slowly running the wire back, then forth, then back, then forth. Faster and faster, she begins the speed as blood is spraying all over her white clothes, the sound of gushing blood and wires scraping against bone emanating every crevice of the room. Peter hears a pinfall, looks down, and sees a trio of old naked people. One of them waves at him. He screams, runs, and jumps out of the attic window. Crash! Okay, let's so, talk about that scene. <laughs> yeah, that's... I had nightmares about that particular scene because... The sound is just disturbing, and the visuals are also really disturbing, but the sound got to me, I think. The sound is the thing that hit me hardest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sound of a grot wire going through wet meat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was the face. The face is what did it. That look. Anyone who's ever had, like, like a... a figure, an authoritative figure, look at you like that, particularly in, like, a parental role... You've seen that look, just that disdain. You know what I mean? Just judgment while she cuts her own fucking head off. (laughs) So, like, yeah, it's a nightmarish thing to see. Yeah. Um, That is maybe one of the hardest visuals I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, like, I can handle a lot of things, but, you know, that. (laughs) Yeah, it sticks with you. It does. The camera slowly falls along, and we see that Peter is laying face first in the garden. While this is happening, we continue to hear the awful sounds of Annie sawing away at her own neck with the wire, until the sound of the cutting stops, and we hear a heavy thump on the floor. Presumably, Annie has been successful. We see the light refraction again, and this time, it makes its way into Peter's body, Peter wakes up and looks over to see Annie's headless body floating up and into the lit-up treehouse. Peter stands up, still looking at the treehouse, and lets out a tongue. What was once Peter slowly makes its way to the treehouse as we see more naked people in a nearby tree line, 
pleasantly staring. Pleasantly staring. Well, they seem pleasant. <laughs> they, they did. They were very pleasant. <laughs> Once in the treehouse, we see many more old nudes bowing, and we hear the sound of a wind chime. The being that was once Peter looks over and we see a mannequin with Charlie's decomposed head on it, on top of it. Just at the feet of the mannequin are Annie, without a head, and the corpse of the grandmother, also headless. Happy, cheerful, and uplifting music plays. Joan is in a white robe, bowing to what we can assume is now Charlie, who looks over and sees a picture of a grandmother with the title of Queen Lay. The music continues to build. A crown is placed upon the head of what was once Peter. Jones says, Hey, hey, it's alright. You're alright now. You are Paimon, one of the eight kings of hell. We have looked to the northwest and called you in. We've corrected the first female body and give you now this healthy male host. We reject the trinity and pray devoutly to you, great Paimon. Give us your knowledge of all secret things. Bring us honor, wealth, and good familiars. Bind all men to our will as we have bound ourselves for now and ever to yours. Jones starts a chant of Hail Paymon. All the old, crusty, naked people chant Hail Paymon. And then the song, Both Sides Now, by Joni Mitchell, begins to play as darkness and the credits roll across the screen. I would like to say that there's a reason it was a bunch of naked old people who bound themselves forever to a demon because my generation has commitment issues. <laughs> when I heard forever, I was like, that's a long time. <laughs> that's too much. I mean, <laughs> the whole old naked people worshiping a demon, that just weirdly enough kind of reminded me of Rosemary's Baby. Because... There is a couple scenes of old naked people worshiping Satan while, you know, he's pumping his seed into this woman or into Rosemary. I mean, how else are you going to worship Satan, really? (laughs) Yeah, there's no real other way. (laughs) Got to do it in the nude. I'm going to tell you what. (laughs) I'm I'm talking to Payment. I'm like, look. We're yours for, like, 60 years, maybe 40. We'll see how it goes. You understand, right? I'm busy. (laughs) I mean... Things change, you know. People lose interest. Just, you know, I mean, don't don't make a big deal about it at all. So yeah, that is that movie. Uh, I love it. I love it, and it's haunting and beautiful and depressing. Um, I don't know if it's beautiful. I think it is in its own way. I, I don't watch that movie and be like, "That's a beautiful movie." I think it is in its own way. I don't know. I never felt I I don't I don't know, man. I I never saw anything like beautiful about it. There's beauty in grief. Well, I mean, yeah, there's beauty in everything, but I I never it never had captured me that way, hmm. I guess. That's fair. But I guess, you know, different strokes for different yeah. folks. So, with Robbie being the last one in on this one, what are your final thoughts and a 1 to 10 rating? I didn't really like the movie. Uh, it's one of those movies, everything that happened in it did feel important. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of fluff or filler in this movie, like you guys were saying earlier, and it's very purposefully done so. And I do like the fact that it's a movie that turned, like, there's a lot of times it turns itself upside down for what is basically the bigger plot to happen. Like, it, it takes something that's interesting and then basically scraps that arm um, to 
for something that's even more interesting and then towards the end scraps it for something that's even more interesting in a sense so this is probably like a nine out of ten for me nice all right rocky how about you um oh yeah so what i wanted to say about the house is the the houses were a big um a big a big uh, the theme not necessarily possession but what you embody Right, and I think it was really important to see. And I know that I'm, I, I probably shouldn't use this as my how I feel about the movie, but I just needed to talk about this. Is the house at the beginning, the fake house is how you zoom into this fake house. Their entire foundation of their life was a lie. Everything about her was meant to bring that demon. That was the design from the grandmother. So they're 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 living this lie. Every even her husband was the right husband to ensure that it'd be stronger than the child, right? Like this very stout person, but still obedient to the wife, essentially. Right. Right? And a caretaker of the family. It's it's a lie. Whatever she thinks her life is all about is actually the design from the grandmother, right? Which I think is interesting because if you look at that psychologically, if you had a sense of that, you would be obsessed with homes. So it might reflect in the career about your, you constantly design these houses. And then when the trauma happens, she embodies that. So that completely takes over that whole thing. And then you have the whole possession thing. So it really is this really awesome metaphor for what you embody within yourself, yeah. um, which I think is really cool because it's a gateway between the psychological and the paranormal. Um, but yeah, super cool movie, super heavy. Wouldn't watch this for fun. <laughs> so I probably... <laughs> You definitely want to watch it for the experience. It's a rewarding experience, but not in a lighthearted way. It's something you're glad you watched, I guess, but maybe not so much. You know what I mean? It's like those mixed feelings. Like people are drawn to the traumatic and it definitely provides you that experience. Very traumatizing, very real uh, experience. The horror is the fluff. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways this movie is going to be for kids between when this came out between the ages of seven and 12 of like what the exorcist was for people of that age. Like it's this incredibly, it's this thing that's mostly about grief and other things. And then there's also a possession. Yeah. Like honestly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, look, I need to make a horror movie. So we'll add the horror. Right. <laughs> and it was, yeah. And it's, it's top. The horror is top notch. It's this, this is, it's a fantastic movie. And I, I would give it a nine. The only reason I can't give it a 10 is because it doesn't have a lot of replayability for myself. Okay. So I, I definitely give it a 9, right. though. Sam, what about you? I love this movie, as I've already said. Um, yeah, i probably give it like a 9.5, maybe. 9, 9.5. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, it does have, like, replayability for me, personally, since I've watched it, like, a lot. But <laughs> um, Yeah, there's just, like, a lot of subtle things throughout the whole thing. Well, so you were saying, like, with the replayability of it, like, you kind of rewatch it just to show it to other people. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Yeah, almost all of my rewatches have been to show it to other people. The second time I saw it in theaters was just to take Sam to go see it in theaters. Yeah. I think we, th- we were the only Dude, people in that theater. There was like one other person. Wasn't it that ghetto theater that we went to? Yes, we're ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> Try it. What'd you think about this movie? Oh, yeah. Segway. <laughs> um, I really love this movie. They're even just watching it today and 
looking stuff up for this episode, I'm still learning so, so, so much more. And I imagine three or four rewatches later, I'll still be learning things about this movie. Um, it's just filled to the brim with small details and things that you can take away from it and learn from it, I think. Um, I really, really do love it. I'm going to give it a 9 as well. I can't give it the 10 because it really is just horribly depressing to watch. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's keeping it from a 10 is like, it's hard to just go back and rewatch it just to rewatch it. Yeah. So that's a nine from me, buckos. Well, I personally like downer movies. I mean, I like downer (laughs) movies too, but I don't like choose to go watch them all the time either. If nobody has anything else... I think that's going to do it on this episode. Um, I just want to say that I think Ari Aster is pretty cool. And I don't know. Can't wait to see more. Yeah. Uh, the next movie he did after this was Midsummer, yeah. which I think follows that line of grief. That is also a very heavy movie. Yeah. Ha- has everyone seen that? I movie? have not. He I have. hasn't. Yeah. Let me just say there's only one scene that competes with some of these scenes, and that's in Midsummer. And I feel like that scene is like a fucking hammer. Yeah, I think I know what scene you're you know talking what I mean? about. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think that as a companion piece, watching these two back to back, I think would be, this would like destroy you. And I think in a lot of ways, actually, Midsummer can build you back up because it's about uh, more of acceptance rather than destruction. It's almost about getting past yeah, grief. I think that they're really good companion pieces, honestly. Um their scripts i think if you look at them side by side also share a lot of similarities to how events happen in them though so there's that yeah maybe it was designed that way to sort of dive into grief and then to slowly work your way out i think so the the man seems to be a genius filmmaker honestly thus far i am excited to see whatever he does next i'm not it's gonna be awesome (laughs) like emotionally (laughs) his next one's a comedy yeah it's a dark comedy so um, but yeah, that's going to do it for us here. If you want to follow us on social media, it's the last one's in on Twitter, the last one's in on Facebook. If you want to shoot us an email, let us know what you thought of this movie or any other movie that we have watched so far. It's the last one's in podcast at gmail.com. Again, the last one's in podcast at gmail.com. If you write a review or write a little snippet of something, maybe we'll read it on the next episode. Who knows? But that's going to do it for us. We're going to get out of here. We're going to go get some food. I am fucking starving. Hell yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us, Rocky. Thank you for joining us, Sam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will hopefully hear from you guys Glad again soon. Everybody, uh, don't go crazy out there. I know COVID sucks right now, and it's super scary, and the world is maybe ending. But be be cool to people, man. Man. Don't, yeah, don't panic shop. Don't panic in general over that's the worst thing you can do in a situation yeah like this you just you, Ro- robbie you cannot save these people the panic shoppers are gonna just panic don't shop. there's nothing we can do about just it just don't be a dick and um yeah yeah everyone's gonna get this thing so just kind of accept that and then get yeah. past it and some of us might die so yeah guys there are people hiding behind castles made out of toilet paper do you they're too invested <laughs> in this <laughs> to listen to this alright we're gonna end it off on that super happy note we'll talk to you guys next week have a great week we'll see you then bye later bye take care
You would lock them out. You wouldn't save any of them. Right, no, I wouldn't save any of them. Not a single one. No. So you're, you're kind of a, a hero by default. Right. Like, I'm hero like how Rick's friend in The Walking Dead was a hero. Oh, Shane? No, no. You're yeah. better than Shane. You're not, you're not a Shane. I come bearing gifts. Jesus. <laughs> Why? Don't you guys need some? No. Oh. I we'll do. take some. Is it some? <laughs> hey, it's, is it oh, Robbie's to- here. Is it toilet paper? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> Robbie, where, are you that guy? <laughs> <laughs> You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she... <laughs> yeah, keep going. All right, you can try it again. We can edit it out. Okay. No, that's fine. Just do whatever. Could you, could, you, could you have a little bit more rasp in the voice? <laughs> Let's try this again. I really don't mean to go meta, but I keep getting messages on this computer saying it really needs to restart and I keep asking it to cancel and it keeps telling me, nah, bruh, that is going to happen. So if I get kicked off, it's not my fault. <clears throat> you really should have taken notes. Uh, <laughs> Sam, what do you got? I'm working on it. I have something on this page that is completely irrelevant to you. <laughs> what happened between the gap of <laughs> our memory <laughs> we don't remember. <laughs> I, I love how I had instructions to take notes and I didn't even understand the instructions. Like, <laughs> Did you... You need to really feel this, Sam. <laughs> you need to really get into your emotional grief for this one. Okay. Don't you sweat... <laughs> I think he meant to put dare, but he put sit. Yeah, yeah, it's wrong. Yeah, there's yeah. a typo. There's a typo. Just, just say the typo. Don't you say the don't say the typo. Say the typo. Don't you sit swear at me, you little shit. Don't you don't ever say the typo. <laughs> don't. Don't you sit there and swear at me, you little shit. That's the line. I think it's just a sit swear. It's, it's, it's worse than a stand swear because you're more confident. <laughs> you want me to redo it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay.